After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you're looking for a battery for your truck, a battery for your trail camera, or literally everything in between, including specialized batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery retail store and talk with a battery specialist. There are thousands of locations all over the United States. And if you want to find out more about the batteries they sell, the culture, visit their website, interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, chasing bear. Colby and I traveled up to Springfield, Missouri to meet with Laura Conley, who is the fur bear biologist for the Missouri Department of Conservation and Missouri Department of Conservation biologist Josh Wisdom. And we talked about Missouri black bears. They're right now in consideration of developing a, uh, a very limited hunting season in Missouri. We talk about all the nuts and bolts and absolutely nerd out, nerd out on bear biology in a very interesting conversation. And I want to say just off the off the get-go, we say this in the podcast, but for fear of it getting lost inside all the incredible details of bear biology is that really what's to be celebrated inside of this is that there are bears in the Missouri Ozarks and they haven't been there in a, in a long time, or there was a there was a stretch of time when they were basically extirpated, and so as hunters, we're not just celebrating or even primarily celebrating that they are considering allowing people to hunt them. What we're celebrating is that they're there, and I think that would be the the heart of most people that are hunters is that it's a celebration of a wild animal living in a place in a time when you know habitat is is under assault by civilization essentially 
And um, so that's the celebration. Really great podcast with Laura Conley and Josh Wisdom. Be sure to check out Northwoods Bear Products. These guys have uh, we've, they've been with us for a long time in Bear Hunting Magazine, and we've used their products all over North America. And if you're going to be baiting bears, it only makes sense to be using some commercial scents. And uh, check them out. Check them out. Hey, it's the bear. The spring bear season's essentially over in most places right now, and so we're already looking forward to to fall bear baiting. And uh, so check out Northwoods Bear Products and check out W Hunting Supply for all your hound-related needs, Garmin-related needs. And th- these guys also have a podcast. Check out the W Hunting Supply podcast, which is primarily about hound hunting. And lastly, our buddies at the Western Bear Foundation based out of Cody, Wyoming. These guys are a nonprofit hunting conservation organization being a voice for bear conservationists, bear lovers all over North America who are also hunters. So check out our buddies and enjoy this podcast with some professional biologist out of Missouri. We're recording. Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. Hey, we're in, uh, we are in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, I've got Laura Conley and Josh Wisdom. Man, it's great that you guys have your names on your shirts. It, helps. <laughs> it, it makes helps it very easy. I forget sometimes <laughs> myself. So, yeah. uh, and I've got Colby Moorhead, the Bear yep, Tech. The repeat. Us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is, uh, thank you guys so much for driving down. So, Laura, you are based out of Columbia, Missouri. Correct. Which yep. is two and a half hours from here. Just about. Yep. Yeah. Smack in the middle of the state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Josh, you're at home. Yep, yep. We're here at our my office here in Springfield, so I'm, yeah. I'm usually here about every day. Yeah, okay. So what we're going to be talking about is Missouri black bears, which is, so Laura, just, you are, what is your title with the Missouri Department of Conservation? Sure, so I am the fur bear biologist for the Missouri. Fur bear biologist. Yeah, yeah, for, cool. for MDC here. And so um, bears are one of the species that yeah. I work with. And so I work with coyotes, fox, you know, okay. raccoons, all the other fur bears also. Yeah. Um, but as of late, bears typically take up a substantial portion of my time just yeah. with the research project that we've got going on and just everything that's going on with bears right now here. So do you have, uh, so you're a biologist. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have a degree in wildlife biology. I do. Yeah. So I, um, I got my bachelor's degree from Northern Illinois university and then my master's degree from Southern Illinois university, uh, where I studied long tailed weasels. So really? I started out at the tiniest end of the carnivore spectrum and, and now here I am working Ended with bears. Ended up at the top. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a few songs about that starting at the bottom and at the yep, top. Yep. Uh, um, so your history with fur bears, um, are you a trapper? You know, I, no, I'm, I'm not. Okay. And I, okay. I did not grow up in a hunting family or okay. anything like that. I had always had an interest in the outdoors and, and all through, I would say like, you know, junior high and high school, my friends would just tease me to no end that I was going to be a park ranger. 
tan uniform, <laughs> tan hat, and you know, they'd find pictures in books and they'd write my name on it and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, I mean, I always had an interest in getting into some kind of natural resource field and then kind of through college kind of honed in that interest on wanting to work with carnivores and and really became interested in wildlife management and how research informs management decisions and things like wow. that. And so um, the weasel project that I worked on was a state of Illinois funded project. Yeah. And so it was one of those things that kind of tied into the work that they were doing for the state. And then from graduate school, I ended up taking a job in Massachusetts as the fur bear biologist there. So Mm. I was out east for about eight and a half years um, working on a a very similar, very similar job. So um, coyotes, raccoons, all all the fur bears that they had out there um, and then inherited their bear project out there. Somebody retired and I was able to kind of move into the bear project. So um, I've been working with bears at this point for just a little over 10 years. Okay. That's pretty cool. Right on. So your your int- like it I think it's an interesting transition going from a non-hunting mm-hmm. family with an in- just a general interest in outdoors and animals and then moving into uh, a place where you're making significant or you know at least contributing significantly to wildlife management decisions yep. and being based in the hunting world like what was that transition like for you you know, there was, I mean, it, there was a learning curve there. And, and during my whole, you know, graduate schooling, I was really lucky that I had a lot of friends who were very willing to take me out, show me the ropes, take me hunting and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, my, my husband now basically introduced me to all of So he's the, a big hunter. He's a big hunter. Yeah. Okay. Big, big, big deer hunter, big turkey hunter. Okay. And, um, where, I, where did he grow up? He grew up in, in Northern Illinois also okay. kind of, um, a little bit more rural area than where I had come from. And so, um, he came out to Massachusetts with me and adjusted to hunting public land out there where, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's limited availability and a lot of people packed into a little bit of area and stuff right. like that. And so, um, we'd always wanted to get back to the Midwest, all of our families in the Midwest. And so 2016, we were able to move our family to Missouri. And So you went from Massachusetts to this job. Yep. So yep. this and this was the fur bear biologist That's from right. the state of Missouri. That's right. So you know the this is this is a narrative that I've heard, which I I think it's probably true, is that in wildlife management, sometimes we are finding people getting into wildlife management for the states that don't have a background in hunting, mm-hmm. and that can sometimes negatively if they're anti-hunting, if they're I don't know how to say that, uh, you know, like. Some people are getting into wildlife management that have negative connotations of hunting. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a simple way to say that. Have you heard that before? I mean, I think that's one of those ideas that some folks have, whether it's grounded in truth, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, that's yeah, not yeah. something that, that I've run into yeah. in, in my career. I mean, and for that's me... Good. That's good to hear. Yeah. And and for me, I mean, in the fur bearer world, um, that was certainly something that was... Um, I wouldn't say a challenge, but an adjustment for working with the Trappers Association and not right. being a trapper myself. I think they had a lot of questions as to, you know, well, how do you feel about trapping and fur bear right, management right. And, and things like that? And so, um, I mean, I think, you know, I've relied on on a lot of fellow biologists and, you know, hunters and trappers to help, you know, build up that knowledge base and that background and yeah. things like that. And And for me, you know, my interest is really understanding how, you know, best to 
manage the resources. And yeah. so use, use, yeah. use the research and monitoring that we have available to us and then make informed management decisions yeah. through that. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, an incredible story. That's great. Uh, that, that is, that's really cool. Josh. Yes. Tell us about yourself, man, what you do. And well, so I am a Missouri native. I'm originally from what folks call the boot Hill. So the Southeast corner okay. of Missouri, uh, been hunting all my life. Started out when I was little bitty doing doves and squirrel hunts and public land hunter my whole life. We don't own any property. So we used to go to where I know you've been recently, the Van Buren current river area. Yeah. So that was where yeah. we would go for deer season and okay. turkey hunting. So, I mean, that was about an hour and a half, two hour drive for us. Uh, so, so local guy, but uh, I went to school at the University of Missouri in Columbia. Okay. I've got a four-year degree, a uh, wildlife management degree. I don't have my master's. Uh, I worked for a federal agency that does wildlife, uh, what you might call damage control, USDA Wildlife Services. I worked mm. for them for eight years before I came to the department. So during that time, I worked as an airport biologist at Chicago O'Hare. I did wow. that for three years. I did a lot of work with urban deer uh I did, I've done work with feral hog control full time. I've done industrial bird work. And so kind of the opposite side of the coin of what Laura was kind of talking about. You've got wildlife management as a, as a rule, when you go to a typical school, you, you, you know, how can we make more? We need to make more habitat. We need to make the populations grow. Well, doing the type of work that I used to do, especially, uh, you're looking at the opposite. Well, what can I do to make this shrink? What can we make this less inviting? And like, so airport environments, that kind of thing, you know, mm. it's, you don't want so a bunch of deer. To, you're trying to get them away. Yeah. You don't want a bunch of deer. You may not be the private land biologist I want coming to my place. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but yeah, so I, so I did that for a long time. And, and so now with the department, uh, I'm my job titles, I'm a wildlife damage biologist okay. and, uh, you know, so I don't do law enforcement, but I help private landowners a lot, especially. I'm not tied to an area. I don't do food plots. I don't work on your pond. Uh, people generally call me when they have a problem with, in this case, we're going to talk about bears or you've got crop damage. Yeah. Uh, Missouri, feral hogs aren't wildlife, but feral hog damage, that kind of falls That's in my realm. big issue right now. Yep. Uh, so, so things like that all the way up to, hey, you know, we've got a bunch of geese on our golf course here in town. What can we do about it? You know, they're closing our swim beach, that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, so, so I'm kind of the opposite side of the coin. But, but yeah, I mean, wildlife damage, uh, whether it's, you know, actual financial losses. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people just need some, some talking to, just some education about, you know, yeah. that's really not that big of a deal to have a, a black snake in your driveway or whatever. That's not going to yeah. hurt anybody. Yeah. Uh, so kind of runs the whole gamut of some serious problems to just people need some education. Yeah, that's great. You know, coming from Arkansas, we have always had a very high reputation of the Missouri Department of Conservation. We appreciate like, I mean, like, for no bias. What I mean, when I was a teenager, and I remember my dad took me to Missouri turkey hunting, and I remember him telling me, he's like, Missouri's really good. They, they, they manage their wildlife well. And I mean, this was long before media or I had any reason to think that. But uh, so, yeah, the Missouri Department of Conservation has a – very good national reputation, which yeah. you guys would know. Yep. I mean, but just for, Except, I mean, I've, I've lived all over the Midwest uh, with different jobs, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana. And I mean, so even as when I was a normal person, quote unquote, I, I agree. I think Missouri has got a good setup when you live yeah. in other states. It's, it's got a lot of going for it. Yeah. Yep. It national does. leader. Right. I mean, yeah. that's, that's what you think of in a lot of cases when you yeah. think of MDC and conservation and stuff. So yeah, that's, that's good. Um, Colby, any, any questions for him? 
personal, I'm, I'm personal just questions. Why, I'm just wondering why we're only doing one podcast. Yeah, I know. Why we'll have to do another one about fur bears? <laughs> the more I hear, I'm we, more... <laughs> okay, so when we drove up here, Shepard said, there's a coon, and he was talking about a coon on a sign. Mm-hmm. And I said, I braked, and I said, Shepard, you got to be more clear. <laughs> I said, if you see a coon on a sign, you got to say, I see a coon on a sign. Because I'll slam the brakes on this truck and we'll have a wreck in downtown Springfield. I saw, I saw a sow coon with three cubs in the middle of the day yesterday walking around. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I'll be just darn. Out being the coon. We, yeah. we had one climb up our tree in our backyard and my daughter was just like, huh, all right. And we sat there and watched it for a while. So, yeah. Yeah. Pretty incredible animals. Um, black bears. Yeah. Laura, give me... Give me a history. like So starting from scratch, okay. like nobody, like just assuming that, well, let me back up. People don't have a context for bears in the Mid-South. Right. I guess we could call this the Mid-South. Like on a national scale, and especially several years ago when people would hear that I was from Arkansas and was bear hunting, blow their mind. And then when I started, you know, when Oklahoma started hunting bears and, and having robust bear populations, people were shocked. And uh, I would imagine it's kind of the, will be the same thing when Mm -hmm. people start hearing about Missouri bears. Mm -hmm. But I mean, historic range of the black bear, this is like El Primo historic range of the black bear. But so, so take us back to um, just, just your, your story of, or, or what you know of when they had them, how they lost them, and now we got them yeah. back. So I think, you know, the the story of bears in Missouri is similar to a lot of other places that, um, you know, a lot of it stemmed from habitat loss and unregulated harvest and things like that. But for us here, um, you know, bears were, were found throughout the state. You know, you read early settlers' journals and things like right. that, and, and they were found throughout forested areas of the state. Um, but by the early 1900s, I mean, their numbers were driven really low. And at that point, you know, the Ozark Forest had been logged and there was just large scale habitat changes and then unregulated harvest on the animals. And so basically here in Missouri, um, really by the early 1900s, it was thought that bears had been extirpated from the right. state. You know, they so just here. that's right. Yeah. Locally extinct. Yeah. And, and there were still rumors of bears. And, you know, you'd hear a few reports in the 50s. We had, a, 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 you know, an instance of I think there was a bear here, you know, killed and then another one that was killed. Mm. But the question was, are these captive bears that got out, yeah, you know, right. Where, where did they come from? Right. Um, and so for a long time, we really did think that our bear population had been extirpated. And then, you know, as you know, Arkansas Game and Fish had conducted reintroductions in the 1950s and 1960s. And not surprising, some of those bears made their way up this way. And as Arkansas's population grew, we started seeing, you know, an increased number of sightings and stuff like that. And, and really that started to pick up Around the 70s and 80s, where where bear numbers here. So they were there were confirmed bear sightings in Missouri in the 70s. Absolutely, and and even yeah. even post reintroduction. So even in in the 60s and the late 50s, we did okay. have confirmed bear sightings there. And okay. the thought was that well, some of these bears probably just came just came in from Arkansas, came in from that. So release. it wasn't a reproducing population, or that's probably what they would have said. That's right. Yeah, and that yeah. was the thought at the time, yeah. right? That any of the bears that we were seeing were coming in from Arkansas, and so um, over time, you know, bear numbers just continued to expand. And so we went through a series of um, kind of, you know, concerted efforts to collect sightings on bears and figure out, you know, where where were the counties that we were seeing bears? Are we seeing cows or sows with cubs and, and stuff like right, that right. Um, to really decide, 
are these just bears that use Missouri as part of their range? They wander in from Arkansas. Are they just young dispersing males that are showing up? And, yeah. and over time it became apparent that we did have, you know, bears that were established in the state of Missouri, their home range was in Missouri, they're reproducing in Missouri. And so, um, you know, as we looked to the early nineties and things like that, bear numbers were steadily increasing at that point. And, and by, I would say the mid two thousands, we got to the point where we're like, yes, we, we have, a bear population a here. Resident bear We've population. got a bear population. So by the early 2000s. Yeah, I mean, and it was in, in the 90s, that was kind of the thought at that point too. Right. You know, we, 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 we get reports of sows with cubs and yeah. so it, seem, it seems that that's the case. Yeah. Um, but as as time went on, you know, into the into the early 2000s, especially the question was just how many, right? And, and what what habitat requirements do they have here? What, what types of habitats are they using and things right, like that? Right. And so we really didn't have a lot of that information. And we were relying um, a lot on sighting reports from the public. That's the best way that you can collect some of this information yeah. on a large scale. And so, you know, we looked to those sighting reports, looked at that kind of range, and then um, updated a bear management plan in 2008. And that really outlined some of the key research questions that we had about our, our bear population. You know, okay. what, what is our population level? Where do we see bears? What does their range look like? And um, what's the ecology of bears in this state? And that's kind of the, the jumping off point from, for where we are today, basically. Yeah. So that started, y'all, you guys officially started doing research in 2008? The research project started in 2010. So, okay. so the management okay. plan was updated. So for 10 years you've been. Yeah. Yeah. We've yeah. been studying them for 10 years. Let me, let me back up and ask you a question. Were, so for people who wouldn't be familiar with the uh, topography and kind of the vegetation, I guess, uh, for, of Missouri, mm -hmm. Northern Missouri is going to be like Midwest. I mean, right. like classic. Row crop. Open Midwest. space. Yep. Yeah. Fragmented and, forest. That's not super yeah, connected. A lot of agriculture. That's right. And then Southern Missouri is going to be Ozark mountains, mm -hmm. you know, probably elevations under 2000 feet, right. but karst topography, right. thick Eastern deciduous forest. Um, did black bears range all the way up into the prairie portions of Missouri? So we did get reports through forested areas. So they probably weren't residing in the prairie portions right. of the state, but where those forested areas stayed connected, yeah. it seems that they would have been so occurring that, in so those probably forest areas. Like, there probably would have been bears like using the river drainages absolutely. and stuff. Absolutely. Like waving up north. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But the but the core would have been in the Ozarks. In the Ozarks, yeah. The, that really heavily yeah. forested area for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so me let me let me think about where I want to go from here. So many, so many possibilities here. First of all, let me just say the the idea that there's bears in Missouri is incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, like when you think about on a macro scale, the the population of the earth increasing, the 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 widespread spawn of civilization taking over places. The fact that we've got these large carnivores that are increasing their range, mm -hmm. increasing their numbers, is pretty incredible. And I mean, so to me, like I'd, I'd heard for several years that Missouri was considering a, a bear hunting season. Mm -hmm. They'd been doing research. I knew that, but I, w I honestly wasn't expecting it to become a topic of conversation so quickly. Mm -hmm. But when it did, I was like, this is this is awesome news for 
conservation and mm-hmm. in our century, really. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you look at black bear nationally. I mean, they are one of the great conservation success stories absolutely. in so many locations. And so Missouri, you know, we're kind of hitting that high point right now where this is this is the time that, you know, our bear population is rebounded and it's growing steadily, expanding in range. I mean, all in all, this is this is a huge conservation success story. Yeah. And, and when you look to, you know, black bear distribution nationally, you know, their range had been restricted, again, due to habitat changes and unregulated harvests and things like that. And then over time, you know, throughout the eastern U.S., you know, the southeastern U.S., the western U.S., bear numbers rebounded. And so, yeah. you know, we've got this, these, you know, bear populations that in many places are growing. And like you said, at the same time that the human population is growing yep. too. So that in and of itself presents some challenges, right? right, right. You know, but... but well, it's, 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 that's the reason we have to manage them. Exactly. And I want to yeah. talk to Josh about some nuisance, nuisance stuff later. But, you know, when you... Uh, I can. I asked Myron Means if he thought this number was legitimate. This was totally out of, off the wall number, but like, you know, I mean, bears don't know there's a border right. twenty miles <laughs> south right. of here <laughs> that separates Arkansas yeah. from Missouri. But what I was thinking about was like uh, this mid. And I, I don't know if I'll call it mid south populations of bears, but basically Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's bears in northern Louisiana. Right. You know, they yeah. the confirmed bears in East Texas. Yep, Mississippi. So, yeah. Like this big spot on the map. Uh, I think it'd be safe to say, or you tell me what you think. 10,000 bears. I mean, My- Myron Means says, the Arkansas Game of Fish is now saying, I think that we have 6,000 bears okay. in Arkansas, which I told him on the podcast. I knew that he was kind of holding the cards low. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oklahoma, I want to say says they have 1,500 to 2,000 bears, mm-hmm. something in that range. So, I mean, there's 8,000 bears. And then you're not even talking about, um, well, you're not, that doesn't include Missouri. Right. That's right. And I mean, bears are crossing the Mississippi River going over into Mississippi. Mm-hmm. I've got, I've got a buddy that has a, that hunts on a lease on the east side of the Mississippi River that gets bear pictures on his trail cameras, you know, bears that mm-hmm. are, We've Coming had back and bears forth. in Illinois before reported to us, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Southern Illinois. Yeah. So that's on the other side of the Mississippi. Would that, that would be you guys bears going over there. Is that right? We, we think it's a possibility. It's, it's possible. I mean, and that, and I don't know that they get a huge number of reports, but, but uh, it has happened. But it has happened. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and I mean, if you just look to Missouri, though, we get bears reports north of Interstate 70. So so when you're talking about, you know, the dividing line between the state, basically take the Missouri River and it cuts the state in half and it kind of okay. separates, you know, that southern Ozark part of the state and then that more. I mean, and there's a transition in between, obviously, right, but that right. and then that agricultural northern part of the state um we get bear reports north of the the river i mean we're getting bear reports um every year frequently from kind of the suburbs of st louis south of st louis and then we've got this tract of woods that kind of crosses the river crosses interstate 70 that goes into a couple of the counties you know north of the highway um, and we've gotten bear reports in there and you can almost track that bear movement you know Mm -hmm. it's it's Mm -hmm. it's a young dispersing bear and boom so they are i mean they can they can get across those things i mean when i was out east we'd see them cross major highways and the connecticut yeah. river and things like that so yeah, yeah they're they're their capabilities for dispersal are pretty incredible yeah yeah um tell me about some of the 
research? Like what were the, what was the basic research and questions that you guys were trying to answer in the beginning yeah. or still are? Yeah. It? Yeah. So yeah. So right. We still are in, in the midst of our research project. Um, it's getting to the point where we're wrapping up the, the project that we're in right now. We've got another year on that project. Um, but back in 2010, you know, really that initial question was, okay, we know we have a bear population here, but how big is it? What is how that? Yeah. How many bears do we have? Cause ultimately, yeah, that's what, that's what everybody wants to know, right? How many bears do you have? And so um, we started that work in 2010, um, collaring bears, looking at home range size, um, did a genetic capture recapture study with hair snares to get okay. at that population estimate. Um, and so we did that for a couple of years. Um, that's where we we got the baseline population estimate that um, if you had listened to communications, you know, up until 2019, basically you'd hear about 300 bears. Missouri's okay. got about 300 bears, and that's based on this estimate okay. that was conducted from 2010 to 2012. Um, but with a baseline population estimate, you can't tell how fast it's growing, right? It just gives you that kind of point estimate in time. And so then the next question was, well, it it seems that we're seeing this range expansion. It seems that from, you know, what we can see here that the population's growing, um, but at what rate? How quickly is it growing? So that kind of kind of moved us into the next phase of our research project. And so we've been um, visiting bear dens basically since 2014, 2015, um, trying to get survival estimates, reproductive estimates, um, looking at, uh, you know, what's the sex ratio of our litters, how many cubs survive to age one, um, what's the breeding interval that we're seeing, is it what mm. we expect to see? And all of that has been used to develop a population model and feed into that population model. And so last year we were able to, you know, based on all of the data that we've collected essentially since 2010, uh, get to the point where we can say our, our bear population's grow growing at about 9% annually. Okay. That is, um, it's a, it's a high growth rate. It's not something that is out of norm for right. bear populations or right. anything like that. Um, and, and that's where we get to the estimate of between 540 and 840 bears within the state. Okay. Guys and gals, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but we would like for you, if you're not a subscriber to Bear Hunting Magazine, consider subscribing to our print magazine. This thing will get mailed to your door six times a year. You get to hold it in your hand. You'll get to keep it. You'll get to read it and give it away. You could read it and use it as uh, kindling this fall for starting fires, whatever you want to do. But this is a real product. And most of the 95% of the content that's in our magazine is, is found nowhere else, meaning it's not on our website. It's not anywhere. We have monthly columns that cover all aspects of bear hunting in North America. There's no way you could read this magazine or get it for a year and not say that you learned something from it. So Bear Hunting Magazine, subscribe, check it out, and also check out all our merchandise. Uh, we just got back in, Colby wanted me to tell you, we got back in our very popular, what is it, Colby? The, the tan, what do we call it? BHM tan trucker hat, and we have one at Realtree Advantage, and the uh, the retro bear hunter hat we have in stock as well. Let me let me go back. I, I wanted to ask you about the different segments. Like I've got some questions about uh, bear hair DNA yep. research. Um, I, so I want I want people to understand how that works because it's super difficult to get population numbers on a bear. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a, 
it's a low density animal. That's right. I talk about that a lot because people, especially new bear hunters, like high and this is the simplest way I know to describe it is a high density of deer might be forty five deer per square mile. A high density of bear might be a bear per square mile. Right. And you that's know. high. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. So 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 first of all, it's a low density animal. That's right. It's an animal that wants to, you know, he's not gonna be feeding out on the edge of the field in the back behind your house. I mean, usually mm-hmm. they're in dense cover right. and stuff. So it's a hard animal to get a population number on. So these bear hair, bear snare mm-hmm. DNA samples. So you're setting up basically bait sites. That's right. With with barbed wire around it. And like so there's barbed wire like two feet off the ground. Yeah, it's basically so that if the bear if the bear crawls under or over it, it's going to collect hair. And and so there's a small scent attractant that's set in the middle and then um, when you're doing it, you've got folks that check these periodically and then just collect all of the hair samples. And then off they of send it. it off and get okay, there were nine individual animals that came to this bait site. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that they're looking at with that is how many times do you see those individuals too? Okay. So so there's that capture part of it. So um, identifying the animal once and then how many times do you recapture that animal? And so like in different places? In different places or at okay. the same place. And, and that helps you basically there's there's some statistical models that you would feed that information into to okay. get you to that kind of overarching population so estimate. There, and, the, and here is my question, and I kind of want to see if I'm understanding it right, mm-hmm. okay? So I, I want to tell you the way that I understand it, and you tell you guys tell me if I'm right, sure. okay? <laughs> so you can't put up bear snare capture sites over every square mile of That's the right. Ozarks of Missouri. Exactly. So you would, you would be doing... Uh, topographic analysis of habitat Mm -hmm. like so you let's say maybe you had 50 bear hair snipe sites across the state of missouri i'm just making this up and then you would analyze the data to the hilt doing all your statistical data Mm -hmm. and then you would say okay in that type of habitat we have this many bears we know for sure and so are you taking an analysis of the topography the 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 land and saying well we have 30 times that much good habitat so we can assume that there's that many bears in this spot yeah so that, that that's that's the, the idea behind it. Yeah. So, right, right. so the, the part that you look at, it's, it's a spatially explicit model. So you okay. identify the geographic area that you are extrapolating across. And okay. so, so that's the thing. So you, you set up the hair snares and there's different sampling methods that you can use on, on how you set up the hair snares. And um, part of the reason we had collars on those bears was to see how these bears are interacting with those hair snares within their home range. You know, what what is an appropriate home range size to yeah. think about setting up these hair snares within? Because that's the thing. You don't want to put all your hair snares into one basket, basically, right? You're, yeah. not, you're not putting it all in just one geographic location. You are spreading it out to kind of get that variability yeah. that you would see. And it shows you kind of the range in densities that you would see. And right, then right. Uh, and then through the modeling technique, after you've defined that geographic area, then, yeah, it projects it out to um, the area that you've, you've set it to, essentially. Okay. Um, and w- one of the things that the hair snare stuff also does, I mean, it's allowing you to get at that genetic information, so that individual information. And we were part of a project that had, you know, hair samples collected in Oklahoma, hair samples collected in Arkansas, okay. both in the Ozarks and the Washita's. And so looking at, 
you know, how do, um, how did the, how did those lineages link up? How are they changed? Uh, and one of the things that we found was that it seems that Missouri did have a small remnant bear population. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so, so, so that cool. genetic cool. work indicates, you know, that there was a small population here that, that must stayed have, here, must have hung on in the most remote wow. parts that's, of the Ozarks and, mm -hmm. and just lived at just really low numbers for, for a long time. Yeah. And then mm. as that Arkansas population increased, now you've got that kind and of growing. That would you would be able to differentiate that because the reintroduction of the fifties and sixties was bears that came out of Canada right. and Minnesota. Yep. So they had a different so there was new stuff. Right. I mean you were you right. were finding new genetics. It was right. It was a distinct a, signature, wow. basically. Yeah, those, I think those, that's significant. Yeah, it is. It is. And I mean I think that, you know, it's one of those things that it kind of falls back onto that secret of nature of those an of these animals you know right. when you talk about i mean they're they yeah we get a lot of bear sightings uh, but does that equate to population numbers no and that's why we don't use bear sightings to estimate the population because you know bear sightings typically occur closer to where humans are going to be it's not in the deepest parts of the woods where right. we know we also have bears and uh, but we can look at that information to see how that range is expanding because one of the challenges here is that you know we've got this growing bear population where we haven't had bears in in any number in decades and, right. and for sometimes in, in folks' lifetime, they've never had to think about bears occurring where they live. Right, and, right. and now that's that's what we're running into, bears right. expanding into areas, you know, around Lake of the Ozarks and south of St. Louis yeah. and things like that. So, um, you know, we've got a lot of good habitat here, so there's a lot of room for them. A lot of room for mm -hmm. them. You know, I think there's a – this is what I experienced in Arkansas is that, especially in the hunting culture, is that there was a cultural disconnect from hunting bears because they just weren't here. Mm -hmm. Like you go over into the Appalachian mountains, East Tennessee, and those guys have been hunting bears nonstop since a long time ago. That's right. And then like in Arkansas would have been here. I mean, like we would have had this like rich hunting history. I mean, the literature in Arkansas, and I'm sure it's the same way in Missouri. I mean, there's all this incredible stuff about these bear hunters and, and some of it not so incredible in that they were market hunting and, right, you know, right. like, not wisely using the resource, but aside from that, you know, all these incredible bear hunting stories mm -hmm. and then it quit because it killed all the bears right. out, mm -hmm. landscape level logging, all this. And then, so there was like this 70 year period where there was nothing. And then all of a sudden there's bears. Right. And so what I feel like has happened in Arkansas and it's, it hopefully happens here is there's a resurgence and kind of a, of bear hunting, mm -hmm. but also kind of that fitting into the, to the hunting culture. Mm -hmm. And what I saw in Arkansas was as bear numbers started to increase, there was, uh, the deer hunters didn't like them necessarily sometimes. And I saw that as an, I mean, I was like, man, this is an incredible wildlife resource. What's the disconnect here? Like, and, and I think it was because there was this long gap where they weren't there. Yep. And so there was no value placed on them. And, and I don't think that, I, I feel like we've moved past that even as a hunting. I don't think you're going to experience that. It's not, I'm not saying you're going to experience that here, but uh, it's just an interesting kind of, mm -hmm. I like to talk, I like to understand the hunting culture and how things, you know, well, kind of come I want to get ahead of ourselves. I've, Laura's got a lot to say about the research stuff, but exactly what you're talking about in Missouri, my dad didn't bear hunt 
My grandpa didn't bear hunt. My great grandpa didn't bear hunt. There's a deep deer hunting culture. Everybody yeah. knows that. So in Missouri, a state that doesn't have a bear season, you've got guys that, well, they eat deer fawns or, well, they hurt my deer feeders. And so yeah. it's like, it's a big thing out there that I can't hunt. It breaks my stuff. And it devalues every, yeah, the animal. And, and so that's part of the whole culture. It's like, well, what, you know, what, what good is it for then? Right now it's just a liability, which people, I don't, I'm not saying I see it that way, but people see that way yes. and it's understandable. But yeah, there's definitely an education that needs to occur. Yes. There is. And bears are one of those species too. You know, we talk about them being charismatic megafauna, right? They're big and they are oftentimes symbolic for people. And so uh, there's a whole, you know, different set of values that get placed on them by different individuals, right? There's this, this, you see this whole spectrum of emotion when, when we talk about bears and uh, you know, some of it is like Josh said that, you know, the, uh, the kind of disconnected, I don't want them here. I'm. There's a lot of people that are afraid of them, right? It's yes. a big animal and they just don't have that understanding of what yep. the animal's doing. And so, so there's that fear all the way to, you know, for a lot of folks, uh, there's that intrinsic value, just the fact that they like to know that there's this wild animal, even if it doesn't occur where they live, hey, it's part of the woods there. And, and yeah. so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that, that also is one of those big challenges with, a recolonizing bear population, right? You haven't, it, it's not ingrained in yeah. folks to think about bears and to think about the value they have in the ecosystem right. and the fact that sometimes that means changing your own behaviors so right. that you're not creating these situations with human bear conflicts and stuff like that. So uh, it's, you know, I mean, here in Missouri, like we talked about, this is a huge conservation success story, but that doesn't mean that it's without challenges, right? Yeah. It's, you know, there's, there's yeah. always challenges with that and and bears are a large species and so you know the management program here it's multifaceted and it aims to address all of those different components right. that you you know you can talk about when it comes right. to bears yeah well you know i think i think the, the the main what i've seen with the with the hunting seasons in oklahoma and in arkansas is it 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 gave people a vested interest in a resource mm-hmm. and it added value to it and inside the North American Model of Wildlife Conservation, that has been the 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 key is to Oh yeah. It's been that, oh wait a minute, this is our resource and we're gonna be able to with backed scientific research and management, we're gonna be able to utilize that resource to some degree and all of a sudden that creates value. That's right. Yep. And that's a that's a hard thing for some people to understand that don't understand hunting and don't understand North America uh in our hunting. But it's so true. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. If if something is valued, if somebody has a reason to value it, and the mm-hmm. thing about a bear is nobody sees nobody sees them unless you're looking for them, looking for them, mm-hmm. or you've got one that's causing you trouble. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, they're either causing you trouble or you're looking for them. That's right. the way you see them. Right. And that's we we tell folks. You know, sometimes we'll get reports of it's like. I saw, I, I was hiking and I saw this bear cross the road and, oh my gosh, this was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And we're like, yeah. yes, yeah, enjoy that sighting, right? And, and enjoy it because honestly, you may never see one again. And it just, sometimes it's just, you're in the right place at the right time for that. Yeah. And, and it is, it's trying to show the value of that species being here in the state. Let me ask you a question related to that. I, I like it. This is a, this is a fun question. You've been in Missouri three years. Mm-hmm. How many bears would you have seen without? Oh, without the research project? Well, yeah. I mean, just like with <laughs> you, just like driving around the back roads, would you have seen any? 
No, probably not. Especially okay. not so where you hadn't where, seen one just cross the road. That's right. I mean, I live in the central part of the state, right? So okay, we so you we see that we much. don't have very many up that way. But I mean, even just in all the driving around the back roads of the Ozarks that we do for the research project. I think I've seen one that okay. has gone across the road and we're like, oh, hey, there it goes. I mean, and, and it's the same thing. Even when I was out in Massachusetts, you know, that bear population out there, it's a dense bear population. Yeah. It's yeah. about, you know, I think the estimate when I was out there was just over 4,000 bears. And, and so it was a very densely populated bear population. And I would say... I probably had one or two instances, but I was out doing field work where I would expect to see them. Yeah, yeah. And then all the other times where, oh yeah, I mean, it was it was when I was looking for the bear that I found yeah. it. So it is, I mean, it just gets to that kind of secretive well, nature. I always of them. say that if I wasn't looking for bears and just were just in my natural wanderings, I probably would have seen five or six bears. Mm-hmm. Just like crossing the highway, crossing the road, right. bumping into I've one. I've seen one. one. Back, okay, I was going to ask before you. I worked on bears, I saw, but I was doing full time pig work, trapping feral hogs. And so again, I was in a lot of places. People spent a lot of time, but I saw one cross the road on my way to Piedmont, and mm-hmm. I got a picture with it on my. So I mean, it, but but yeah, I've seen one. It's just crossing the road, being yep. being a person in Missouri. And yep. that's what it's hard for people to understand. It's like, well, if we've got all these bears, why don't we see them? Right. You know, they're just they're just a different kind of animal, and that's what makes them cool. I think mm-hmm. um, your den research. Tell me about yeah. your den research. Like how many sows do y'all have collared in Missouri? So, so right now, I think we're probably at about twenty-eight sows, thirty okay. sows, something like Quite that. A few. Um, and so, yeah. So do we you, are you in charge of all that? Yep. So I, I oversee the research project yeah. and then work with a, a huge number of other MDC staff that you know, participate in the research project. So, you know, Josh is one of those who helps during the trapping season. He helps during the den work. Um, we've got regional staff down here that that put in tons of effort on the research project. Yeah. So it, it's it's really is, it's led out of Columbia, but it's a team effort. And and most of our work is down here in, in Southwest region and the Ozark right. region of, right. of our state. So, um, but we've got, I would say, yeah, probably about 30 bears that are collared. Um, and we kind of have them distributed across the Southern part of the state. So we've got bears essentially just a little bit east of here where we're at in Springfield. Um, and then bears that kind of go all the way, almost up to the current river uh, okay. in, in the eastern part of the Ozarks. So yeah. so a pretty wide range. And in doing that, you know, we cover a lot of different habitat types. We cover a lot of different levels of forest fragmentation and mm. sizes of these forest tracks that the bears occur in. Uh, and so, so each year we go out and we pin down their dens based on the collar signal um, right. when we can find them. Right. So again, you know, bears are secretive and when they den, they're even more secretive. Does GPS not pick pick up as much if they're down in a hole? That's right. Yeah. So, so, so the collars that we have used historically have been GPS collars where they store the points on board. And so we have to find the collar to get, you know, with an aircraft to get the points from it. Um, and then we do have some satellite collars. So those transmit the locations back to the satellite and then okay. we can see them, you know, okay. a, a, with a lag time, we can see where that bear was. Um, but yeah, when you get a bear that goes into, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, Ozarks, karst topography, yeah. we got a lot of holes in the ground yeah. and a lot of caves. And then, I mean, a lot of big brush piles and down trees and stuff like that. So when they're in 
any substantial amount of cover, the signal is just not that great sometimes. So, so you we do. You don't always find them. We don't always find them. No, and yeah. and we 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 do spend quite a bit of time looking for them so that we can find them in the den. Yeah. And um, and and a lot of times we chalk it up to okay, they must have gone in a little bit before we were looking, or we just weren't looking in the right spot. And, yeah. You know, it it gets tricky. I mean, there's a lot of areas that don't have substantial road access, and so you know that's areas that bears like to use. And when they're down in those deep draws, if you're not in that draw just right, you don't pick up the frequency yeah, and stuff. Yeah. So uh, so we try to den as many of them as we can, visit as many of those dens as we can. Um, and we'll go in, we'll immobilize the sow. So we use, um, primarily we use a jab stick. So it goes up to 12 feet long. Um, and we have, you know, the uh, tranquilizing drug at the end of it in a needle. And so we'll walk up to the den, um, jab the bear, get the sow down. Um, for some of our more open dens, we have to dart them. And Josh has a really good darting story of a bear. I mean, you don't think of bears in ground nests, right? Right. Yeah. But we do find them in that where yeah. basically, I mean, they've just made a bowl of leaves and that's what they sit in. Just laying out in the lay open. all winter long. And and so those that's bears. Crazy. They're challenging to get because you you can't walk up to them in that yeah, you know yeah. they're they're awake enough that they know you're there and everything. Yeah, so yeah. so in those instances we we dart them and um, Josh was one that belly crawled for. Oh, so you're not talking about the one I did this winter, the one last winter. last winter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we have two stories. <laughs> There's a couple of them. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say you put up a tree stand. And <laughs> I, belly, I belly crawled. What was it? 40, 50 yards Probably, to one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like he's, this is not really relevant, but uh, there was a bear in an open den and she knows you're there. She can see you. And so I belly crawled just to not make a much disturbance and she watches you the whole way. And so I finally just kept putting like a big oak tree. She was like, why is this scuba? Yeah, I was like, she'd get up and look at him and then yeah. kind of turn around and sit back down and then she'd look back over her shoulder like, oh, he's still yeah. there. Yeah. That's kind of the thing. It's like, you know, it's like, how much am I going to tolerate? Am I going to put right. up with? And so finally I got as close, which I think it ended up being about 22 yards and that's important for the trajectory of the dart yeah and so yeah. so you, you i keep a range finder and all that but anyway so finally <laughs> i pushed her as close as i could get and then she finally stood up which was perfect because it gave me that front shoulder shot we like to put them the darts in muscular so either basically their rump the backside of them were like the front shoulder so yeah so anyway we darted her and she ran off and she we, have cubs she did yep yep oh wow yep. in an open taller. den like that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the bad part but, is you got to bring them back so she gets darted then she runs away she runs off so then we, we have to carry her like oh, wow. like a wounded soldier, how you gotta far did you get away from two hundred yards? Yeah, I'd say about two hundred yards. Yeah. yeah, she left and, the Cubs. Yeah, and they'll do that sometimes. So a huh. lot of it is is kind of there's this idea I think that you know they're they're drawing the danger away from those cubs and mm. and so i've i've had it where I mean I've had bears get up and walk around the mm. den and they're hoping that you know that mm. that's enough for you. You don't want to be by them, right? And they're hoping okay. that you move off and everything. Um, and then, I mean, and then you have others that just stay put and they don't move. And, and I mean, you see every, every level of tolerance with, with the mm. bear. And I think a lot of it just depends on, um, you know, individual the type of den, bear, individual bear, all of that. So different strategy that's for right. each bear, maybe. Yep. Um, so describe for somebody that wouldn't know about, uh, how a bear would react because a lot of people would be surprised to hear that a bear would be awake in a den right because right. you know like i spend half of my life talking to people about how bears don't hibernate <laughs> right. yeah. but i want to hear well yeah. and laura's about five foot tall and she crawls in there and with that three foot stick so <laughs> people don't believe that when we say 
It's yes. usually longer than a three-foot stick. But no, I mean, it, it is. So yeah, so everybody thinks, you know, you have this picture in your mind from what you were told as a kid, right? You know, you right. read all these stories about... Bear goes bear, in a cave. Bear goes into a cave, and then they just sleep all winter, and they hibernate and things like that. And so, right, bears aren't true hibernators. So they do go through like a huge amount of physiological changes. So so when they're getting ready to go into the den, you know, during the fall, I mean, obviously they're packing on as many pounds as they can get. They're in that period of hyperphagia where they're, I mean, they're literally spending all the hours that they're active feeding. That's basically right. what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and, and that enables them to go through an entire winter without eating, but they're not in the same kind of body condition that a true hibernator would be. And so we have true hibernators here. There's chipmunks and woodchucks and yeah. certain types of ground squirrels that are true hibernators. And so the, and the, they would just be totally out right. body temperature drop. I mean, there's a definition That's right. for hibernation. That's right. Yeah. The body temperature of a true hibernator drops very close to the ambient temperature, wow. which is pretty incredible. Heart rate drops, Heart way rate down. drops oh, significantly down. But those true hibernators, they go through these periods of wakefulness and then they eat a little bit and then they go back into that right. that hibernating right. state. And so it's very different than what bears do. And so bears, you know, as they're preparing to go into the winter den, they pack on as many pounds as they can get. And then when food starts to become short, they'll consume roughage and hair and create the fecal plug that's basically going to stop really? them now, up. I've never heard that they eat their own hair. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know that it's something that it's done a ton, but it's, it's basically, I mean, I think they're grooming themselves a little bit. Uh, they're uh, eating all that roughage. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when we find those fecal plugs, I mean, it is just a hard mass of stuff, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's, I think whatever they can come across, that's going to do the job for that. And, yeah. and so, you know, they go into that winter den and, they become inactive, but their body temperature really doesn't drop. Stays it stays pretty stable. Their heart rate slows down, um, but it doesn't go down to next to nothing. But it, it right. does slow down a lot. So I think it's like eight beats per minute that they have in, in okay. the den. So, so it, it, it goes down. down. It goes down a lot, um, but they can rouse instantly. So with a true hibernator, if you catch them in that deep hibernation state, you can't wake them up. They, they, they have to basically yeah. warm their own body up and go through yeah, certain yeah, processes yeah. and stuff. Bears, on the other hand, I mean, we see it with experience with the den work. You walk up to the they're den awake. and they're looking at you and they can get up and leave at any time they want. And sometimes yeah. they do it at full speed, you know, yeah. so so they can they can be active and, right away. And bears aren't obligate dinners. I mean, the only one that's an obligate dinner would be a sow with cubs. That's right. Like they 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 are going to den. But I say that to say. Bears are not denning based upon cold temperature. They're denning based upon food, food availability. Food shortages, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, right. they'll eat until they run out of food yep. and then go den. That's right. And so, years yeah. with good mass crop, they're going to stay out longer. They could, yeah, absolutely. They might get up more. Mm -hmm. so, you know, I mean, like out of the den, maybe go wander around yep. on a sunny day in January. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and so that's the thing. It's right. The the females give birth in the den. And so those are the only ones that have to den. If they're going right. to give birth, they have to be in that winter right, den. Right. And so they give birth in the den. But females with yearlings, females that are by themselves, so they didn't reproduce or they're too young to reproduce, um, or males, they can stay active for a really long time. And yeah. I mean, and eventually in most places, you get to the dead of winter and food just becomes too short. And it's not worth the energy cost to keep searching. Uh, yeah. But in, in warmer climates, that period can be really short. And then yeah. if you have bears that live around, you know, urban areas or suburban areas, 
they don't necessarily need natural foods. They will rely on, you know, bird feeders and trash and things like that. And that helps them even stay active longer than maybe they would have otherwise. But, um, but when they go into that den, um, their body is basically like a recycling system. And it is, it's pretty incredible to think that they can go in this den. And especially when you think about the females um, that are going to give birth in the den, um, and especially in more Northern climates where they might den upwards of six months, yeah, they, they're not eating and they're not drinking that entire time. And so they have a certain type of fat in their body that they burn. And that's what gives them the energy to basically maintain their bodily functions, you know, the heart mm. and the breathing and their brain functions and things like that. Um, but as they burn that fat, any waste products that are created, you know, they're not urinating and they're not defecating in the den. So those waste products are recycled. And it's thought that that's what replenishes their muscles and their bones because mm. when they come out of the den, I mean, if, if you or I laid inactive for even a week, our muscles would atrophy, your yeah. bones become weak, you know, and, and yeah. for any more extended periods of time, that's the challenges that people face, you know, when they're ho- hospitalized for extended periods and stuff. Right, right. Bears don't see a weakness in bones or a decrease in muscle strength yeah. and things like that. And it's because they've basically got Are this. Are there other mammals that have similar, that go into, is it torpor? Is that what they call it? Yeah, yeah. Are so there some other mammals that do that? There there are. So, I mean, some of the other fur bearers, you think, you know, they go into these periods of winter inactivity, right? But it's not necessarily to the same degree as so bear bears has do. Bears pretty specific thing that they they're doing do, with the yeah. recycling of yeah. waste and stuff. Yeah. 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 And it's, and it's one of those things. I mean, there are, there are other species that can be inactive for extended periods of time. But and they're you, the only ones that can go for that extended right. period of time yeah. without. They're right. There. And, and they're adapted to give birth in the den too. So yeah. when you think about that, you know, they've got, um, yes, they go through delayed implantation, right? The breeding season occurs That's in our June and July. Topic, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's our go-to in any awkward moment in any conversation in my life. I go, do you know about delayed implantation? Delayed implantation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's one of those things. I mean, I wasn't trying to stop you from telling no, us that, so no, you can tell us that whole it's, story. It's, it's all good, but I mean, but that's that's basically, you know, they've got this process, and there are other species that have delayed implantation. So right, right. weasels are one of them. Apparently, okay, you know, that's, that's my connection between <laughs> yeah, weasels yeah. and bears, right there. Okay. But because they're um, a low density animal, usually they are, it's they with are a low, low. Yeah, they're a low density animal, and I think it's in a lot of cases it's animals that might experience food food shortages. Okay. And so for bears, you know, basically if they don't go into the den in good body condition that embryo doesn't implant, the pregnancy doesn't okay. continue. And and part of that is that adaptation basically to make it through those six months because, you know, if you have a sow that's expending the energy, giving birth and rearing the cubs and, and nursing them in the den while she's not consuming anything, um, if she went in in really poor body condition, there's going to be kind of a trade-off. You know, Something's going to have to give. I just learned something that I'm adding to my repertoire of knowledge of delayed implantation. Food shortage. See, I I thought it was just that. Well, I mean, I knew that their body didn't decide that they, you know, gestated until they're. I understood all that, but I thought it was also or primarily a function of them just needing to uh, breed when they could because they've got such mm-hmm. a big window of mm-hmm. breeding, and usually breeding determines conception date. But with a bear, it doesn't matter. Right. So they have this big window. So that's good. I like that. The the food, it's uh, animals with potential major food shortages. Mm-hmm. shortages. Yeah, that, that, sense. that adaptation to kind of get through that. And I, and I think, too, you know, with delayed implantation, you know, there's not, 
I don't know what the trigger is. I think that's one of those questions as to like, well, what is the trigger itself that, you know, the body signal that the embryo can implant and, you know, who knows if it's hormone related or, you know, something along those lines. But, um, but I mean, just, just the, the bear's physiology is something that's a really fascinating system. Yeah. And, and so, mm-hmm. but that is the common misconception that everybody thinks, well, like, yeah, I mean, you're going to walk up to a bear den, but they're sound asleep. Big deal. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, not exactly. They generally aren't asleep. I mean, I've, I've worked bears in deep snow cover on really, really cold days where they are a little, they're, they're, they're out, you know, and they're not really paying attention. Um, but then, you know, on warm days, we could come up to the den and the bears raking leaves into the den to build up the nest again, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it, wow. it just, it just depends on, you know, the day, but especially here in Missouri, I mean, our bears are generally very well aware of the fact that we're yeah. walking up to them. Have you ever had any close calls with a bear on a den Den study. I mean, like, no. I mean, nothing anything. that I would say close. Well, this, <laughs> you know what I'm thinking. Josh of. is laughing. Um, <laughs> this year, I got bluff charged at well, in the entrance of one, okay. and uh, I mean, and, and it does happen occasionally that they do that. I mean, it's it's not uncommon for them to swat the jab pole away, which right. is why in a lot of cases, you know, we weigh the do we dart the bear or do we jab the bear. If it's something where I think I'm going to make the bear stand up and move because I'm walking up to it, then those are the instances where we think about, okay, is it a clear dart shot? And, you know, I mean, you know, it, many of the areas in the Missouri Ozarks are thick cover and blackberry patches and things like that. And so yeah. in those instances, not necessarily the best darting location because right. the cover is so thick yeah, you, and there's just not a clear shot and stuff. Yeah. Um, so we kind of weigh all of that as we're approaching the dens. But um, but, you know, we've had them where they swat the jab pole and, and in a lot of cases they just turn away from you and it's, you know, they're kind of giving you the rear end. They don't, right, they're right. not looking at you. They're not, they're not wanting to That's pay attention to what target. you're doing. Right. And that, in that case, yeah, it makes it, it makes it easier to, to jab them in that instance. Um, and then we run into some dens where they're so far back in a cave, we can't reach it. It's one of those mm. things where a lot of these caves lead to underwater areas or, you know, uh, underground water reservoirs and stuff like that. So we're not going to take a chance and immobilize a bear where there's a chance that it could go further into the cave where we can't watch oh, it okay. and, and stuff like that. I think so, an important thing to add, though, this this will just uh, get rid of some rumors people see on TV. If we inject drugs into a bear, it might take 20 minutes for that that's bear right, to That's right, yeah, down. especially in the winter. So, so that's one of the things where, yeah, if, if, if the bear is in a cave and, you know, we can only see 10 feet in it, well, we can jab that bear with the drug it can be awake for 20 minutes. It might walk a hundred yards down into the earth. And then, so it's not good for the bear. It's not good for us. And so situations like that, you got to pass. Right. Yeah. 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 But the, the one that Josh was talking about this year, we had a bear that was in an old slash pile. I mean, you know, the, the, um, the land had been cleared for pasture and there was a big kind of dozer deck and it was really old. And so pretty unstable in, in some spots. And it took us a really long time to just figure out within this huge pile of, I mean, what were standing trees at one point, where the bear had created oh. kind of this den within. So you this, couldn't find it even in the oh, it, it, pile of brush. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we, for the longest time, we figured, okay, we could pinpoint like where, I guess, geospatially within the pile she was. 
but how she was getting into the pile. Oh, I, I mean, it was like detective work. We're like, okay, I see <laughs> grass clippings over here because they'll, yeah. they'll bring leaves in. And when there's no leaves, I mean, if we have bears that are in this instance, it was surrounded by pasture, they mm. bring in pasture grass and that's what they make their nest really? out of. So they'll gather it up and mm, move it. Yep. That's they'll move cool. it. So we can see, we could see some clumps that kind of led to the area where we suspected she was. And, and huh. so, um, we, we got up to her, finally figured out where she was, realized that the way she was coming in, just with the stability of the pile, probably wasn't safe for us to walk in that way. So I kind of said, okay, if we're going to try to get at her, we have to get her the other way. That's going to require some saws. We're going to have to cut some of these logs just to be able for me to squeeze in. And so um, we got to the point and, you know, you know, bears pop their jaws when they're uncomfortable, right? And so in some dens, they'll hear us come in 15, you know, 30 yards away and they're already popping their jaws mm. because they're just, they're just letting us know they're not happy about it. Others never pop their jaws the entire time that we're there. It just kind of depends. Um, but this bear, we, we kind of cut out the logs away. I weaved the jab pole into the opening and she basically had within this brush pile, there was a, an earth platform that she was on, but mm. it was a long tube that led to where she was. So, mm. so she kind of had this just hollowed out area within this brush pile. Um, that was basically the length of our jab pole. And so I kind of hung in upside down, had the jab pole kind of <laughs> up swinging above my head <laughs> and, um, and, you know, tried to get everything ready, laid the flashlight on the bottom so I can, you know, identify my target, make sure I'm jabbing where I'm, you know, I'm comfortable right. jabbing and everything like that. And I could see her cubs, you know, where she was at. And she kind of turned her body and squared up a little bit with the opening, which is what they do. I mean, a lot of times they'll do that. And then that's when we jab them in the front shoulder. We can get them in the pectoral muscles if we have to. And um, and so I remember looking at Josh and I'm like, I think she, she's, she's squaring up at the entrance. And I was like, <laughs> all right. I'm going to go for this. And I, I'm, I'm hanging in and I'm like, I'm dangling at my waist upside down, you know, looking at this bear. And right when I went to jab her, the second the needle just brushed her fur, she came straight for the opening. And there was a oh, log wow. there that she stopped at. And I just remember like chucking the jab pole back as far as I could and coming out. And, and he was standing there and I was like, huh. She just bluff charged the entrance, but that log stopped her. And and wow. and so I kind of looked back in and the way she was, she was squared up again. Like there's, you know, there's no way, I, there's no way that I'm going to be able to jab this bear at this point. We're just going to have to let her be and we'll, we'll try to trap her if she needs her collar and stuff like that. But that wow. was probably that my would, most. That would get uh, your heart right up. Yeah. Gets, I told Laura I was going to dart her. <laughs> <laughs> if it goes oh, south, man. I'll just I'll just put you to sleep. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was one of those where I, I went home and 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 told my husband I'm like, but we had everything under control and we did. There Do was you know, bear like, spray. Does anybody carry bear Not spray? For den Not stuff. for den stuff. No. I mean, we occasionally yeah. will when we're trapping. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes when we're trapping, you know, we're primarily targeting females. So, yeah. so we still get males that come into the trap and especially during the breeding season, some of those males are really persistent, especially the big breeding age males, you know, yeah. our, our 350 to 450 pound males. Yeah. Um, so we will occasionally carry bear spray when, when yeah. we know we've got one of those that's just constantly coming into the trap mm -hmm. site and stuff like that. But, um, but for the den work, we don't. And, and in that instance, I most definitely would have sprayed myself if, mm -hmm. if I even, awesome. if I even tried, yeah. you know? And so, so that, that's where it comes into this, like, 
it's that cost benefit, just weighing the pros and cons of working the den. So everything that we do, you know, we're not going to do anything that's going to be detrimental to the bear. We're, we're doing right. everything with the bear's right. safety in mind. Um, when we handle them, you know, we we're constantly checking their condition and making sure that they're not having any ill effects from the drugs and things like that. Um, but even within those dens, then, and then, and then the second part of it is, okay, our safety, you know, is it yeah. is it a pile that we can climb onto when they're in rock Sounds ledges? like your safety, not Josh. Josh is <laughs> in the back just watching. I was just going to grab her ankles and pull her back. One yeah. thing I want to say. I thought that's what you were going <laughs> to say. I thought you were going to say, I had her by the feet. I, and I was gonna, I, we've, we've had to, like, grab belt loops and stuff yeah, before. Yeah. But I was going to say a caveat to our listeners here. Uh, don't go into bear dens. Well, right, yeah, 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 Even yeah. if you know where bear dens are, right. we have a lot of people besides me and Laura, let's say, are in the hole. We've got 10 people behind us that are carrying things. And we have, between all of us, years of experience of what's normal, what's not normal. That's right. Yeah. That's not normal behavior. And this one incident, we've done 100 that have been completely boring. Right. Then, oh, yes. Then you yes. had this yeah. one. But but again, right. don't mess with bears. That and, you know, Don't mess with cubs. Don't go in the dens. Even though it's a thing people That's can right. do that are wildlife professionals, don't mess with bears yeah. in the dens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and and that's one of those things, too. You know, when you think about disturbance, you know, those those bears, they tolerate a certain level of disturbance. And then beyond that, some of them have a lower threshold than right. others. And, and you don't want to be the reason, you know, you're making them move in the winter when they shouldn't normally be right. moving and things right. like that. And and we do get the question in terms of our research um, if if this disturbance is bad for them. And the one thing, this type of den work has been going on since bear so research has been going. That's if right. If that bear is alive the next year if her cubs survive. That's right. So it's, yep. yeah. Yep. So you know, you know that you're not hurting. That's them. right. Yeah. yeah. And, and we have, you know, there's, when you think about just bear researchers across the country, you know, kind of the collective knowledge of all the bear biologists that have done research projects like right. this and all the university researchers that have done research like this, um, you can look to a lot of other states and, and this is a very common way of monitoring the population. Yeah. So it's, it's one great, of those it's things. It's a great tool. And it's, it's incredible that bears will let you do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, like there's there's a there's a lot of small things that could be different that would make that totally un. People don't do den work with grizzly bears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a great example. I mean, just yeah. that a bear is a black bear is semi docile and yeah. will let you come up to it. What's the? Uh, I want to. So I want to get to uh, Missouri's the management stuff that yep. you guys are talking about. I saw the survey the other day mm-hmm. that you guys put out. Um, I thought it was really good. Um, so I want to get to that. But yep. before that, uh, what's the biggest bear, legitimate bear that you guys have weighed in Missouri? It, it wasn't while I was here. So it was before I started. And I want to say it was around 545 pounds, okay. 550 pounds. I was thinking pounds, it was 506 or something some like reason. that. It but was just, it was just yeah. over that 500 mark. But remember, you know, we're was trapping. It, the the, it was the summer. Yeah. yeah. It's bigger okay. the so we're, we're trapping these males bigger. in the, in basically when they are probably at their lowest weight. So, wow. so this time of year right now we're doing our bear trapping and we've had, you know, in our traps, we use big, their trailer traps. They're basically giant welded boxes and, uh, and, and our big males, like when we get up there, you know, one of the reasons, you know, we have to kind of assess the weight to figure out how much drug to give the animal. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of that comes with experience. We've worked a lot of bears so we can, we can look at them. But when we get these big males in the trap, you kind of look at like from, okay, are his shoulders touching the top? And those mm. really big boars, their shoulders touch the top. And then how low is his belly to the ground, right? Like how much mm. light can I see underneath yeah, yeah. his belly? Because, you know, 
a four-year-old male can be really lanky, really tall, but they just don't have the meat on them. But those, those big boars, I mean, and we've worked some that are between that 350 and 400 pounds in June, you know, so before the berry crop has a, really kicked in. So those, mm-hmm. those bears are going to be big in the fall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's with the uh, the den study, how often does a female go back to the same den, or do they hop around year so it's, to year? It's variable, but um, so we have we've had one bear in our study that used the same den three years in a row, and mm. she was actually an even more interesting story. Um, we we had her with newborns one year, we had her with yearlings another year, and then um, we we can't work the den; it's in a cave, so we just put up cameras. She actually had what appeared to be her two-year-olds with there with her in oh. that den, which is not something that is so very... So she denned with them three years? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So she oh, okay. gave birth in the den, and then when they were mm. one, and then when they were two. So oh, yeah, okay. three times. And and I kind of... It, it wasn't something I had seen before mm. in, in the work that I'd done. And so I kind of inquired around, and, and it was seen... It's been seen in a couple of other states, but it's huh. definitely not something that is is very common. And so for, for whatever reason, she didn't run them off like she normally would in the spring. And, or, or she didn't breed and then she was just tolerant of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had, I've had sows where they have newborns and then their two-year-old is in relatively close proximity. That's why I was going to ask if you'd ever seen a yearling in a den with a newborn cub. So I that, think I'd heard it that It does before. happen. Yeah. yeah. We, to, I don't, uh, not since I've been here and I don't think that's something that we've seen here, but the idea behind that is that, um, you know, if, if a sow loses her cubs during the breeding season, she'll go in asterisk and she'll breed again. And so the thought is that in, in some cases, it might be that for whatever reason, the sow and cub got separated okay. for a long enough bred. time period. She got bred and then they connected back up. Wow, and then what a story. now what you've a got story that. Of re- reuniting with my <laughs> prodigal son has come home. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's definitely not something that happens very frequently, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, nuis- before we get to really what we want to talk about, nuisance bears. Like, um, what what's what's the temperature of nuisance bears in Missouri? So, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. We'll put it that way. Uh, we get everything from people calling because I saw a bear in my backyard and you need to come get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> All the way to I've worked two, been on two landowners' properties this week that have had beehives that have been oh, really? flattened, demolished, eaten by bears. Classic. You know? Yep, classic. And, and it's the same thing that we've talked about before. People that have, I've lived on this property in such and such county since 1972, and I've had bees the whole time, and I've never had to put an electric fence up. Well, today you do. And, and you know, there's going to be more bears next year than there are this year. And so it's just... Especially that, if you keep feeding them honey. If you keep feeding them honey. And, you know, and as you know, they like the, the, they like the larvae, they like the broods. There's more than just the honey. So there's that. Uh, we get, I mean, it, literally everything under the sun. We get your common bird feeder calls, mm-hmm. garbage calls uh, all across the state. Uh, we get chicken coops sometimes, people that mm-hmm. still feed pets outside. When's the prime time for nuisance calls? Right now. The earliest, so there no berries are ripe. Yeah, right. So, so the earliest I personally have had is April first, April Fool's Day. I've okay. had nuisance calls all the way from April Fool's Day through like October. Yeah, mm-hmm. we see in, in a lot of places. You know, you'll see, especially if you got a dry summer where you don't have yeah. a good berry crop, then you've yeah. got bears that are switching to alternate foods. I mean, we had a bear that was grazing wheat at, at one of our areas. Yeah, that one is of our, a very popular hiking trail. So we got a lot of act, 
a lot of calls. It was sitting in a wheat field, a food plot mm. that we had planted, eating the heads off of wheat, mm. sitting on its back, on its belly, you know, raking it in, and everybody pushing, literally pushing strollers, walking by, looking at this bear eating the heads off of wheat. Wow! But it was wow. a very dry summer yeah. that year, yeah. and so he was really not wanting to leave that. Yeah. And in that yeah. in that summer, you know, we saw an increase in complaints of bears showing up, bird feeders, bears showing up at trash, and things like that. I mean, so so we we see you know that kind of fluctuation between years and then and then within seasons and the other part of it too is you know right now this is dispersal time mm-hmm. so those 18 ones. month olds yep those young ones are set off on their own and the young males they wander huge distances and so these are the bears that show up south of st louis and yeah. in general they don't stay in one place for very long but when they move through boy they generate a lot of phone calls because yeah. it's like they're in neighborhoods or or they're just really in areas where folks are like wait there's a that can't be a bear, right? No, it is a bear. And then it's yeah. like, oh, okay. And then, you know, and as it moves through, you can kind of track just that one bear. Okay. I think it's, I think it's over here now. Or now it's switch counties. It's over here and it's moved on. Um, and then you couple this time of year with the breeding season and those breeding age males, you know, they just cover huge ground. So the yeah. more something's moving, the more likely it is that maybe it's going to cross a road and get seen and, and yeah. stuff like that. So um, our, our bear reports are just, you know, they're rolling in daily you know yeah. and the vast majority of reports that we get from the public are just sightings you know they're not they're not, not all nuisance problem. issues right and yeah. and a lot of them are just you know folks excited about what they saw or yeah. seeking more information like okay this is the first time i've ever seen a bear what in the world am i supposed to do about that what, what do yeah. i do what's yeah. your advice kind of stuff um and then and then as josh said we do get those instances where you know the bear is seeking out those easy food sources and causing damage yeah. and when we look at our um you know human bear conflicts the vast majority of them are centered around food right it's it's those beehives it's the chicken coops and things yeah. like that and then Every year we we get the occasional bear that will wander into yeah, I town. I can't believe I hadn't talked about that. Like the big thing, the, the probably the most famous one is uh, we have I have a counterpart in St. Louis, Tom. We had a bear walk inside a church that had the doors open. Is they, that right? They have, I think it's a parochial school or something. So they have, there's mm. people there. So the doors are open for the breeze. And long story short, the bear ended up in the boys' bathroom and couldn't get out because the door shut behind Wow. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and so the, my counterpart went in there and, and darted it in a stall. And we had to, I say we, the department, we had to carry it out. But, but yeah, so that's part of the whole culture thing is I've done a bunch of these where literally a bear walks into town at night following his nose. Usually it's a two-year-old male. Uh, as the city starts to come alive, that eight o'clock traffic, people are going to work. Well, then he runs up a tree because he's scared. Well, the tree might be the courthouse square, a playground. Yeah. Well, now there's news involved because we haven't had a bear in Missouri in 200 years, according yeah, to the yeah, local people. Exactly. And now it's up a tree. And, and yeah. so, you know, it ends up being, you know, almost a state of emergency, depending on the type yeah. of people involved. And so that always ends up being its own deal. And sometimes you can just wait till night and it comes down the tree right, and he walks right. away. That's the best thing. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, we'll get in a situation where it is such an urban center where we'll try very hard to grab that bear and not that we're going to relocate him but i'm going to move him outside of town so he doesn't get hit by traffic he doesn't we're not making this problem prolonged and so we do some of those too yeah and and we do a lot of discussion too you know about the fed bear is a dead bear and stuff like that because i mean you know even though we have a low density population we still have bears that that show up in town and we have some bears that get to be very persistent with the food whether it's bears that are a bear that's continually busting through electric fence to get at bees you know and once they start doing that 
it's really hard to to mm-hmm. push them off doing it and or or the bears that are getting more bold and breaking into porches and stuff like that and it, it doesn't happen all the time but it does and so yeah. it, it just goes all the way you know it's that continuous loop of, loop of education because it's you know these things are preventable but once the bear goes down that road sometimes we get to that situation and you know it's not a situation that we're happy about where we have to go in and you know or, or josh would have to go in and euthanize a bear but it does happen and right. it's unfortunate when it does right. but you know yeah are there times you have to get really creative where you can't get a trap in or, or <laughs> the bear just isn't there to so I mean, yes and no. We, we as a department, you know, we do a lot. We, I, I personally, and and the other, we, there's six guys that have my job title in the state, and we all try very hard to help the public with these because exactly, it's like most of the public, it's like you drop these things off from outer space, have no mm-hmm. idea what to expect. People don't even know they climb trees, you know, mm-hmm. they they just don't know what to expect. So we loan out electrical fences sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've used rubber buckshot. I've used pyrotechnics. I even have an electric doormat. So if you had a, a bear that was getting on your porch, obviously he's climbing up the stairs. We can maybe yeah. stop that before he even gets up the stairs. I could use that for a prank sometimes. There's possibilities. possibilities. I didn't invent it. There's the, the, these problems are <laughs> the more. Josh wisdom. Electric. <laughs> <laughs> say, it's actually, uh, there's some outfits out in Tahoe. You know, this is a lot more common problem. Right, yeah, and yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I've, I've dealt with some of those people out oh, okay. there. But, yeah, but yeah, so sometimes problems. you do got to get, you know, mm-hmm. kind of figure it out. Uh, I use a, a device, actually, I'm not really like trying to sell them, but Critter Gitter, it's a noisemaker device that has a motion sensor. You can put mm-hmm. that over a dumpster. Uh, so that generally will scare the bear away or it'll let the landowner know that now you can come outside and use these noisemakers that we lent you or whatever. So we really try because, because yeah, I, I kind of reaching back to what we talked about before. If it's just a liability and, and nobody will even help me with it, it's like, then what's the point of having it here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we really try hard to make everybody have a positive react, interaction as well mm-hmm. as we don't want to put any more bears down then we don't put any yeah. down but but yeah you know we really try to to fix that problem when we can yeah i think well, that oh, go ahead. no 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 go ahead uh i think that kind of shapes gives more shape to what it is you actually do because it's really teaching the public to yeah. or private or civilians i guess because it <laughs> seems like you could be <laughs> you can go militant or you i'm yeah, just kidding nah. but no uh but just being able to go in and really education is the main thing that you do outside of and like the like nuisance and trapping is just kind of the small percentage oh, of yeah. the whole oh, absolutely. picture. Yep. And well, so I well, think that would have been a disconnect sometimes oh, inside yeah. of my mind. You know, it's like I'm so busy just relocating bears rather than, oh, no, I'm going and I'm teaching these people how to do this, do that, and equipping them to coexist. Well, and that's the thing, you know, and you'll talk to any wildlife management person Wildlife management is people management. Mm-hmm. It's easy to plant seeds. It's easy to let them breed and do what they're going to do. But getting the public to change, whether it's mm-hmm. deer or bear or turkey, whatever, getting them to appreciate it or change their way of doing business, it's all. Uh, Daryl is another gentleman that works with me. You know, he said my time in college as a bartender helped me more than some of my classes <laughs> because it's learning how to you know how to relate to people, people. How, to, yeah, how to talk to people and get them to understand. Uh, and so, and so, yeah, that is a big part of what we yeah. do. And and you know, it, it, again, I think it helps. That I'm, that I'm a local guy, you know, I'm, I'm a Missourian, but you got to be able to, to relate to people and understand that if I lost a $500 beehive and I've lived here for 30 years, I'm a little upset about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and rightly so, you know, and, and so again, we, we really try to, to help. And, and part of that ties back into the research end. You know, I've literally printed off maps from our data and been like, look, I could, let's say I came and killed this bear that's causing you problems. There's not one bear here. Look at this yeah. data. There's five more bears that you don't know about that are literally walking down this ridge that you've never seen 
seen before. Mm-hmm. We had an incident. It's not important where, but we had an incident where we had an issue with a bear and I trapped it. And that same week while I had this trap set, I had a bear run over on the road that was physical description was the same. I was like, well, there's, that probably fixed my problem. It didn't. I had a trail camera from the neighbor across the road that had a bear picture that was, oh, that's probably him over there. I already had the bear in the trap while all three of these things happened. And so I took that to a landowner. I was, look, there was three bears that were 250 pounds within a half mile of your house all at the same time. Yeah. So, so you need to, you know, you need to change the way you do business. It's not that I'm going to kill that bear. I'm going to move that bear. And like I said, Missouri, we don't really have a relocation thing. You know, it's not like Montana. I can't take them 200 miles away and dump them. I could take them to Clay's place and let them go, but, mm-hmm. but he may, he may, he may do like it. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's the thing. Most people, they say, well, you need to take that and move it somewhere. And I was like, well, again, You're I can take it to, it to somebody, I can take it to Branson, problem. you know, I can take it to Springfield. <laughs> yeah, oh, would, Those people like don't that. like that idea either. And so, again it's going to have to be the populace is going to have well, to understand and that brings us to a good point here and before i get to this point i do want to talk about bear home ranges mm-hmm. but the nuisance stuff is essentially a, a big component of why we have to manage these animals through regulated hunting you know because that's that's a big question a lot of people have is you know why do we hunt bears uh number one bears have been used historically in this country for forever and they're great meat. It's a mm-hmm. great animal. I mean, it's a so from the wildlife utilization standpoint, it's a sustainable resource. All these things that we know, yep. like us hunting these bears, is actually helping their populations in many cases. But the way I the way I describe it is, there's only so much suitable bear habitat in Missouri, or in Arkansas, right. or in Oklahoma, or in Montana. There's only so much habitat. Only so many bears can live in that habitat and maintain their health and fitness and have enough food, have enough space, have enough holes in the ground to den. And bear populations increase by 9% Not per year in, in, in this state. I did the math on the Arkansas population the other day. At like basically a population that's increasing by 10% per year will double in 12 years. That's right. Yep. Something like that. Yep. So like, so if you, so if, but you've got this fixed amount of habitat that's not growing. That's actually decreasing, probably. I mean, if you're talking about private land stuff, habitat. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this large carnivore that's naturally increasing. We need wildlife management through hunting. That stimulates so many positive things. I mean, it stimulates families getting out and hunting, right. people gathering wild protein. It uh, stimulates the economy. It, But... It, it, you know, the, in these nuisance issues show us places where these bears are essentially, I mean, not always running out of habitat, but I mean, bears dispersing, bears going into places that really they can't, we can't sustain a bear there. I mean, there's a little block of woods right over there. A bear probably can't live there his whole life. And so that's, you know, that's why we need to hunt these bears. Right. And you think about, you know, the biological carrying capacity of the landscape, right? What what can the landscape hold? And then the social carrying capacity, what can right. people tolerate? And, and so, you know, we see this with a lot of different wildlife species, you know, with deer. I mean, you can, you can have deer increase and increase and increase, but you get to a point where people say, okay, this is, this is too much. Um, and so for bear, yeah, the, the biological carrying capacity of the land is one thing. And, and here in Missouri, we, we've got a lot of bear habitat. We've got, uh, you know, our bears right now from our, our research, they're pretty choosy. 
They select okay. like the highest quality habitat because they can, right? They live yeah. at low densities right now. Yeah. So there's not that competition to, you know, to, to get to that high quality habitat. They, that's what they're selecting for. But we can look to other parts of the country and recognize that bears are super adaptable. And as they continue to grow, they'll use those more marginal habitats. And you could be talking about fragmented forests where you have bears crossing roads really frequently yeah. or or that type of fragmented forest where it's, you know, human development and, or agricultural development and things like that. And so that social social caring capacity tends to be lower than what the landscape could support. And it's, right, and it's just right. because, you know, there's that possibility of those nuisance issues or the perception of the animals being yeah. in close proximity to homes and things like that. And so, you know, I mean, I think when you, you know, talk about hunting and the ability to provide that opportunity. And so, you know, we, we're at this point with our bear population where we can look to um, proposing a hunting season, right? This is a really exciting yeah. time for the state of Missouri. We're, yeah. we're here and we, we have a bear population where we can say, yep, we're at this stage now where we can look to that. And so we've established, you know, this proposed hunting season framework, and it's really to provide opportunity. Our, our population can sustain a harvest. And so we can provide Missourians that opportunity to utilize this incredible resource yeah. that they haven't had that opportunity before in ever, ever. We've never yeah. had a regulated bear season. <laughs> yeah. Not you a regulated know. bear season. Yeah. Right. Before so this, there were game laws. Yep. They right. killed bears here. That's but, right. Yeah. That's so, pretty, you know, so cool. it's, it's like this incredible, just, I mean, we talk about it being this conservation success story and that kind of gets you to that. And then, and then for us, we have a, a bear management plan that really identifies kind of the, the multifaceted nature of bear management. Right. I mean, all the things we've already talked about, we've covered basically everything that you would discuss with our plan. It's education. It's minimizing and addressing those conflicts when they occur. It's right. the research used to inform those management decisions. Um, and then, and for us here, as our population continues to grow, we'll look to establish those population benchmarks and hunting will be an essential component of that management program. So, yeah. I mean, it, it all, what's, what's the general framework for the proposal? So, the yes. Table? So for our bear hunting season, the proposal that we have, so right now, you know, we don't have a season. This is kind of our initial public input phase. So, yeah. so department of conservation, uh, in many cases, especially with these types of big changes, this is, you know, this is a big deal, right? This is brand new for us. Yeah. Uh, so we, we create this proposed framework, take it out for initial public comment. We'll make refinements to it. And then, and then send it down for kind of that approval chain that it would need to go through. Um, but kind of the gist of it is um, we're proposing a 10-day season that would start the third Monday in October. Um, okay. We are proposing zone-specific harvest quotas. So we have yep. kind of proposed three bear management zones, um, zone-specific harvest quotas. And so the season would close either when the zone-specific quota is right. reached or, or within what would that a 10 quota days. Be? We don't have that established yet. So, okay. so the It'd other... Be, I assume it would be pretty low. Yeah, so what we're talking about is a limited and highly regulated harvest. Yeah, so this is yeah. this is us, you know, basically establishing this hunting season. So I think be Oklahoma a had a twenty bear, mm -hmm. a thirty bear quota the mm -hmm. first year, the first several years. Yep. And they started killing like forty bears on the first day, <laughs> <laughs> you know, before they could close the season. But no. Yeah, and one of the things that we're looking at too is allocating permits for those bear management zones. Okay. So you know, we we know with bear hunting, success rates tend to be low, right? And right. and I think. That in and of itself 
is an adjustment for folks that have never bear hunted. Yes. You know, it, it is they one need of to those listen things. To the bear hunting magazine podcast. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to understand that that success rates for 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 bear hunters are typically low. And, right. you know, right now we're proposing no baiting and no right. dogs. And so in right. that case, success rates will be low. We know yes, that. They will. Um, and we can look to other states and, and see that, you know, in those instances, you're talking about typically a, a below 10 percent success rate in most cases um you know some states have seen kind of some variability around it but but it's not what you're going to think about for for other species that that folks might be a little bit you know more common you know commonplace to them um so so thinking about that permit allocation by zone um, those zone specific harvest quotas and our zones are set up to kind of delineate regions of the state um, that are kind of separated by major highways. So they kind of take these, these bare habitat areas that are already kind of separated okay. by these by these major roadways. Um, yeah. And so our, our bear management zone, that is our southwestern zone. So that would be here where we're at in yeah. Springfield. Um, that one is an area where it's got a lot of really suitable bear habitat. We've had bear reports in a number of the counties within the zone for the longest time period. So bears okay. have been established in, in zone one for, for a long time. Um, and there's some variability within that zone, obviously, because it's dependent on on that forest cover. Um, right. Zone two kind of encompasses the largest tracts of Mark Twain National Forest and some okay. of our, our larger, less fragmented habitat okay. blocks. Like and, the current river back mm-hmm. over in there. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then zone three is an area that kind of surrounds Lake of the Ozarks and Truman Reservoir. And so when you think okay. about that zone, you know, that area, there's a lot of suitable bear habitat there, um, but bear numbers are low. And so we know that area is an expansion area. We, we have sows in the area. We have... Mm. You know, we get bear reports regularly, um, you know, but in in those look in that in that zone um, there, it's just a lower density of bears just by default that that's kind of that expansion zone. So kind of dividing it up that way. when would the proposed season be? So if it moves through in terms of the, the MDC process, um, the earliest we could have it would be October of 2021. Yes, and potentially next year. That's right. Yep. Man, that's exciting. That's very exciting. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, the, in Arkansas, the way all this went down was for years, the, you know, we man, we had a, we had a season since 1980. I'm not telling you something you don't know. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm just kind of giving a context. We had a season from 1980 and mm-hmm. then in 2001, they opened up baiting on private land because the bear population began to expand beyond what uh, the still hunters, mm-hmm. we'll call them, could harvest. So they, you know, we need to we needed to take out more bears. So you know, they they said, well, we're gonna we're gonna allow bait on private land in certain areas. But what we're seeing now is guys going back to this uh, the harder way. Yeah. The sheep that, hunt of the South. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm giving him five right here. I'm, he, if he knows that phrase. Go then, uh, five. Yeah, go five. Yeah, we'll have to wash our hands. No, no. Yeah, yeah. The, we coined this deep, deep metaphor of sheep hunt of the South. Uh, but, yeah, it's a super tough hunt. Mm. But I, So I'm so excited to see how people do. Yeah. Mm. And I, I I think in an unhunted population, it'll be easier, Josh. So this is your year, man. <laughs> I'm hoping. Yeah, this is your, your, next year. I shoot a recurve some too, but I don't know if okay. I'm going to go with, the, you know, I'm not taking a rifle. <laughs> not as well, dude. Yeah. Not as well. No. Um, no, nah, th- th- such great information. Um, is there anything we've, 
we bounced around a lot, uh, talked about research, talked about the season framework. Is there anything else that you'd like to, I do want to hear you talk about home ranges. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, because that's always fascinating to me. Uh, so let me back up. Let me talk to you about home ranges and then I'll say, you can say sure. whatever yep. you want. You too, Josh. <laughs> you too, Josh. I can't. Yeah, um, not. <laughs> what's the first, okay. Two simple questions. What's the furthest you've seen a bear go, like a GPS collared yeah. bear and all your research yeah. go? And then the question is, what is an average normal? <laughs> for a sow home range yeah. and a boar home range? Yeah. So, so, so we have, uh, we are really lucky in that we've picked up a few really cool dispersal movements with our collar data. So, you know, I mean, males you think of, yeah, males move huge distances, right? right. So, so they, they move really large distances. Um, we have one that was initially trapped kind of in the Springfield. It was not far from here. It wasn't in Springfield. It was just a little bit northeast of here, but um, kind of in this area. And uh, that bear, he ended up in Warren County, Missouri, which is north of Interstate 70, north of the Missouri River, uh, basically smack in the How far is that? Give us oh, some context. Oh, 250 miles yeah. as the crow wow. flies, I would really? bet. Yeah. And so, and it, and it wasn't just a long linear movement. Miles. He, he basically, wow. he kind of wandered around. And so we, we put a new collar on him up there and kind of tracked his so movements. So just turned him loose back up there. Mm, yep. You didn't bring him back down nope, here. Nope. Because we don't relocate him. And in and, and that instance, okay, you know, he's that, him. he's that dispersing bear. And so his thing, he's just going to keep moving. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. there, there's nowhere that we could put him where he's not going to mm-hmm. move. So, so, so he went about his business. Business. Um, we had locations of him almost all the way to Cape Girardeau. So now you're talking almost to the Mississippi River that he went. He kind of stopped at the edge of the forested habitat there, mm-hmm. turned around. We recaptured him um, down in the Birch Tree area. So Shannon County. Shannon area. County, not too far from Current River, yep. okay. Van Buren, that, that location. That's a good place for him to set up homestead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then and then he denned a little bit north of there. So, I mean, when we look at his movements, there's this, 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 wow. this crazy... Hundreds of miles. Hundreds of miles. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I basically just did like a, a quick measure on Google Maps that if, if this is from point A to point B to C to D, this, it was like 450 miles. And mm-hmm. you know there's more in between, right? Because wow. it's not just... I wonder how many thing. Missouri citizens saw that bear and called you guys. Or <laughs> yes, that one bear. And so, so interestingly, we can look at our sighting reports. So when he was in that Warren County area, if you if you look on our sightings map, um, I think it's like yellow dots right now that were 2011. And they kind and, of followed. Oh that. my gosh! Yeah, there were these all these reports <laughs> of this, you know, of, of one individual bear and, and stuff. Mm. So, so they do. I mean, they move these huge distances, but. You know, the, the thought with females is that females don't disperse very far, right? right they yeah. stick around their mother, and that's kind of their typical dispersal pattern. And so basically what they do is, you know, it's it's very similar to deer. It's that rose petal hypothesis. So you have a sow. If she has a female cub, that female cub sets up a home range that overlaps some with the mother's. Okay. And then her female cubs will do the same thing. And so the female component of a population is a lot slower to expand Okay. Than the male component, mm-hmm. which is why we see males south of St. Louis, why we see more males around the Lake of the Ozarks. It's just because that male subset, you know, is the one that expands mm-hmm. a lot quicker. Um, yeah. But we've had a couple of long range female dispersals. Yeah. Oh. So we had one where we were able to see this this female. She's collared um, and, and she was kind of I think she was four when we had her collared. 
And she moved basically it was like 75, 80 miles, really? something like that. And mm-hmm. and and then kind of hung around the Houston, Missouri area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even went further east from there. So she was another one of these bears from the southwestern region and kind of went went that direction. That's probably a phenomena too of an expanding population. Yes, absolutely. Because yeah. if she had went five miles and bumped into some kind of bear conflict, yep. it might have turned her. Right. So, I mean, these bears are just like heading right. north and... Right. Nothing to stop them. Nothing to stop them. I mean, them. in terms of bear, right? Bear stuff, right? To but, stop them. <laughs> no, exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Other bears, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but that's it. I mean, and so so those types of female dispersals, but like those are the little sparks, right? That are gonna yeah, ignite kind go... of those local breeding populations there. Okay. So so if we have these longer female dispersals, we may get females that show up in some of these areas where if it was just that kind of typical that you would think of population mm-hmm. expansion, um, yeah. that you know you wouldn't see for for a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, and so and so we we kind of see it. So for all the cubs that we handle, we pit tag them. So little microchips so like you do. Check them their whole exactly. life. Exactly. Yeah. And we just caught one that we had handled in 2018 as a cub. We just trapped her 50 miles away. Really? It, yeah. Totally different female. area. Wow. Another female. Yeah. So, so it does happen. And so we're seeing that kind of expansion so the, of that the female home range is, Well, I guess we'd have to get into the definition of home range, but what would be just like a general statement for Ozark bears, like square mile? And I yep. and, and I realize we can't really talk about home ranges and square miles, but just for general. We'll do it. Yeah. So we say like 25 square miles is what you would okay. think of as a typical female size average home range. And then recognizing there's that variability, right? So and that could be any shape. Exactly. It's yeah. Not it's, square. It's, it's not a square. It's not a square. Yeah. It could be oblong along a whole ridge that, and that's yeah. that bears that bears home range for right. sure. And so, uh, so yeah. So about twenty five square miles for the females. Okay. Um, and in some that's areas, bigger than what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, and it, but it can be a lot smaller, right? Yeah. So, so they can get down even lower than that. I mean, when I when I worked on the East Coast, we had bears that had much smaller home ranges. Right. I mean, and they with were denser population. Denser population, yeah. and and a lot of those bears with really tight home ranges. A lot of it's based on food. So they're going to go where they can find food. So if they're in an area with lots of, you know, human associated foods, they don't have to go as far to meet their energetic needs and stuff like that. If you're talking about big tracts of forest, sometimes they do need to travel a little bit longer distances to get to, you know, the good patches of acorns and stuff like that or the berry Mm -hmm. patches and everything. Um, So we, we do see some variability around that. And then, and we did have a young female that was collared um, around the Lake of the Ozarks area and her home range was a lot bigger. You know, it was, Mm. you'd look at it on a map and it would look like what you would think of as a male's home range. And it, it's just uh, she was in an area where, uh, like you said, probably not a lot of bears, not mm-hmm. as not as many bears, and so she really wasn't restricted in her movements yeah, and things yeah. like that. What about males? So males, it varies. Ozark yeah, males. males varies from year. You know, during the time of year, but at the biggest, you're talking about 100 square miles. So wow. just like huge, Massive. huge areas. Wait, now is that common? Yeah, For, yeah, okay. uh, yeah. So so males during the breeding season, I mean, they'll move. Really okay. big distances, yeah. I wonder how different that would be. I mean, it's been years. Like, the research that is in my file cabinet in my head is from the early 1990s mm-hmm. in Arkansas. Um, and just from what I've heard biologists kind of just say off the cuff. So, I mean, this isn't like hard science, but, like, I was I was thinking that, you know, like a 
bear, a male bear in Arkansas would have like a 20 square mile home range. And it's totally possible. And so with, I mean, uh, with denser population. Yeah, you see, and, you see variability and a, and a lot of it is food dependent. So if there's yeah. variability in the habitat and there's, yeah. you know, different types of food resources and things like yeah. that, you'll definitely see that variability. And males shrink their home ranges down a lot when it's not the breeding season. You know, right. we like to describe it for folks, especially this time of it's year. It's like the widest point. This is the biggest use. they could cover because yeah. it, it helps explain why they might see them where they're seeing them. And then, yeah. and, and then why, you know, if you see a bear here and then we get a report way the heck over the here, bear. it could be the same bear because yeah. they can move such big distances. And so, yeah. yeah, I mean, we've been, we've been really lucky in kind of catching some of those more unique dispersal movements and yeah. stuff like that to see that. So now that's, that's the longest bear dispersal that I've heard of. Yeah. What you just described. Yeah. He was yeah. like a meanderer, you know, yeah. just, just he, he wandered basically. He was just a wandering bear. And and, yeah. and he, he ended up dropping his collar before we got to where he was oh. like in an established home range. So you don't know where he's at. No, we don't know where he's at now. But but from Josh from probably the, does. <laughs> Hard to say. But from the later years, it did seem like he was kind of settling down. Right. Mm. So we started uh. kind of to pick him up between and and. He may end up being, I mean, this was several years ago. We're still trapping in this area. He's probably got ear tags still. And, and so we may end up, may find yeah, we mm-hmm. may end up getting him as, you know, one of those 300 pound breeding age males now because yeah. he's kind of reached that age class. So yeah. yeah. Put another That's collar incredible. on him. <laughs> uh, Jeff Ford in Oklahoma talks about a bear that was going 70 miles in between its summer and fall ranges in Oklahoma. Yeah. And it, same story, it lost its collar. And uh, the last time they had uh, GPS on it, it was like 10 miles into Arkansas the other way. It was going into like this like fringy agricultural area uh-huh. in Oklahoma yeah. coming out of kind of this big national forest, yeah. like core bear mm-hmm. area. And it was going 70 miles. I can't remember the it was probably doing that in the summer and coming back to den in the mountains, but it may have been different, but just bizarre yeah, stuff. It's, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, yeah. and, and I mean, and you, you know, like when, when you collar these animals, you kind of get this insight into stuff that you really wouldn't have noticed otherwise. Yeah. And, and then, and the collar technology right now, you know, when we think about, you know, historical studies and things like that, when you're just using VHF collars, all that collar does is put out a beep mm-hmm. and right, right, it's right. dependent on you finding it and triangulating its location. And so, right. so realistically, you know, how many times can you find it each day? How many consecutive days can you find right. it for how long? And, yeah, and, yeah. and especially, you know, when you think about bears and the huge ranges they cover and then the topography that they're in, there's so mm-hmm. many challenges there, right? It's, it's hard to do that. Yeah. The collars now, I mean, they're like a handheld GPS unit that is basically logging locations. And so our GPS collars, most of them take locations every two and a half hours. We have some oh, that are wow. doing so it every you just 90 log minutes. In, yeah. You know where it's yeah. At. I mean, in, in really thick cover, sometimes they don't connect with the satellite. And so, you know, you can't mm-hmm. see see some of those things. But you get this incredible, just detailed habitat use. And, and there's times where, yeah. you know, you may have a bear that, oh, we usually see her over here, but she's been gone for like a month. And so mm-hmm. the question is, did she drop her collar and we're just not, you know, not picking it up? Did she die? Or did she disperse or, you know, is she on a walkabout? And so we've had some bears that are down near the Arkansas border that make these huge forays down into Arkansas and she's gone for the better part of a couple of weeks and then, and then comes back up and is right back to their core mm. range. And, you know, mm. we've seen that with, with other bears. And so, mm. you know, I mean, and, and it kind of shows you just that connectivity of the population, right? Like you said, yeah. you know, bears don't know political boundaries here. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. we talk about 540 to 840 bears here in Missouri, but they're part of this yeah, there's, cert- there's certainly population. bears that are 
their ranges are overlapping yeah. into both states. Yep. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Um, okay. So back to the ending question. Yeah. Do you have, and we'll start with Josh. Oh, do we do it? Is there anything we haven't covered that people need to know that you guys would like to say to people? Hmm. Well, I mean, or just anything fun you want to say, Josh, well, I, I'll talk all day, man. Uh, <laughs> A couple things, and we're probably going to be kind of preaching to the choir in this outfit, but, you know, a big thing that I like to stress to people is that when I get calls from the public, it's usually people think bears are Winnie the Pooh or they think it's the grizzly bear from the Revenant. There's no in-between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it, it, it rips off children's faces or <laughs> or it's a it's a love toy, you know. Yeah. So bears are neither one of those. You know, bear, mm-hmm. but bears aren't fuzzy people either. They don't want to be your friend. They, they they have a different life than a human does. I realize they take care of their young just like deer do, just like turkey do. And it's just really important for people to understand that bears need respect, not necessarily fear. Uh, you know, they are a valuable resource. It's, it's a good time to be alive. It's a great time for Missouri to have bears. You know, we just opened an elk season. Now we've got black bears. And Laura talked a little bit about intrinsic value. For me, it's neat to know that, yeah, I mean, I can tell you the place that we're sitting right now, I've had bears 10 minutes that way. Mm. If a bear walked through this parking lot, I wouldn't be surprised. And so it, it's cool from a guy that's that's a Missourian that grew up in, they actually grow cotton where I'm from. But, you know, just a few hours away, it's like we have wilderness, which we do have some wilderness areas here. But, you know, we've got black bears and we've got an elk hunt. And it's like, man, that's impressive. It's like yeah. I, don't, I don't have mm-hmm. to drive to Montana or Wyoming anymore. It's like it's just as woolly here as it is there. And mm-hmm. you can literally drive 20 minutes from your house where I live and be right in the middle of it. I, I just think that's a it's something people need to appreciate. And it's yeah. it's, it's a good time. It's a good thing. And I yeah. think to add to that, too. You know, when you think about that, it, it just it highlights again, you know, those conservation success stories. And one of the things when you think about, you know, you talk about MDC, you know, the Department of Conservation here being a national leader. And that is only because we have the support of individuals in this state. You know, we right, have the right. support of Missouri residents. It, reflect, and it reflects the values of the people. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so so in looking at, you know, how you have um, kind of this strong conservation foundation here, it's it's in the values of individual Missourians that they value conservation. And so, you know, when we think about kind of the resurgence in the bear population and um, the habitat improvements that have been made. So, I mean, you're talking a hundred years ago, the Ozark forest looked substantially different, right? You know, so, I mean, so just in that time period, there's been, you know, so many substantial changes and just the level of support that Missouri residents give to the Department of Conservation, you know, all of those, it is, it's an exciting time. You know, it's an exciting time for me as the bear biologist in the state to be part of this incredible program and this incredible organization, but to also just recognize you know, the the long and, you know, very important history that the Department of Conservation's had for the state and, and and how that has come up from, you know, the residents within this state supporting right. that, Especially that conservation Especially with the denning ethic. project, most of our dens usually end up being on private uh, property. Absolutely. Right? Oh, so yeah. we have to yeah. get permission and they sometimes they might tell you no and that's their right to do it. But we generally get really good cooperation. Yeah. From oh, public. absolutely. Yeah. And, and so there's the, that. You know, that's something I didn't talk to you about. Maybe you could just like talk on it for like 30 seconds. <laughs> Public land, private land, like in Arkansas, our core bear populations are on public land. You know, we've got 
pretty big blocks of national mm-hmm. forest. Is that what? So we like so here? we do see we see both, right? Yeah. So so really, the core of our population is a nice, healthy mix of public and private land. Okay. And and so we have those really. We've got large tracts of public land. They certainly have bears, um, but we also have some areas. I mean, especially when you're thinking about kind of you know some of the locations around here where it's more private land interspersed. That's bear so habitat. So some of your core areas wouldn't necessarily be hubbed around big blocks of public land like Mark Twain and stuff. They still, I mean, I'd many of the cases they still are. It's yeah. probably half and half. Yeah. So, okay. but when, when we think about like the Mark Twain National Forest compared to Ozark National Forest and Washington National Forest, I think that, you know, Mark Twain is kind of separated into these segments, right? Oh, so they're, okay. they're big segments so they're and it makes up this. There, that, there's private inholdings and that's stuff. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Okay. So they could be really living in the Mark Twain, but be on private land. That's, That's right. what you're saying. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and, okay. and in some of the areas where we found um, kind of that remnant DNA, a lot of that was on private land. A lot of, you know, mm. the hair snares that were run on private land and things like mm. that. And, and we, you know, in some of the areas um, kind of in the south central part of the state, you know, south of Highway 60, but kind of centered in the part central part of the state, um, a lot of our trapping occurs on private land. We have tons yeah. of landowner so cooperators. Of Absolutely, yeah. And 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 realistically, like Josh said, I mean, we couldn't do the bear project without it because bears don't know fence rows and they don't know boundaries and stuff like that. You know, so they don't only occur on the Forest Service. So if we've got a dropped collar that's on private land, we need to go pick that up. We we always, you know, we we don't go on that property without the permission of the landowner. And, um, and we have so many folks that are like, Hey, I've got bears here. You want to set up a trap? You know, I I know your research project. You want to set up a trap and stuff like that. I mean, there's, so there's, yeah, most people are excited about that probably. Yeah, absolutely. Where are the, where are the core, like if you could, like where are, where are the main populations? So, so we would say that, um, our main population is really south of highway 60 here in Missouri, and it's kind of spread across all of those Southern counties. And so like, that's the, that's the real core. And all, then, all the way over to the Mississippi river. Probably not that far. Like so Poplar Bluff, Poplar Bluff area. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and if you, so if from you, like Joplin to Poplar Bluff. Joplin's a little bit of a stretch, but really but, okay. But, yeah. So they're not going that far west. There are some there, but again, talking about Springfield. like Springfield, it's definitely I'd say Springfield yeah. to there. Yeah, yep. yeah, and and when you when you look at the map of kind of the forested areas of Missouri, when you look at kind of those southern counties you can pick out those big blocks of forest and it's those really connected patches. At. And and yeah. so we say, you know, primary range is south of Highway 44. And that's a really easy interstate for people to think about. It kind of yeah. cuts the state diagonally. Yeah. And then, you know, recognizing what, that within that primary range, there's a lot of variability in terms of the density of bears and how many bear reports we get right. from certain counties and things like that. Um, and then as you go north of that, and closer to St. Louis, we kind of hit these expansion areas where it's year after year dispersing males showing up and uh, there's high quality habitat there and it's connected, but it's also these areas that are surrounded by human populations. And so yeah. there's that kind of, um, you know, education factor that goes into it. And uh, and in terms of our research, it's actually one of the things that we're looking at. So, so you know, we, we estimate the population and monitor that population growth. We can look at the home ranges and, and you know, we know our bears are choosy and they're selecting the highest quality habitat and things like that. Um, but we can think to the future, right? And we can look at based on how bears use the landscape here and what habitat, you know, components are important to them what are some of the towns that are likely to have conflicts in the future? And so, you know, Josh deals a ton with the Branson area and, you know, some of the suburbs of Springfield and in between the two. And, and like, this is, you know, right around the core, core bear range. Right. So it's not surprising, 
But then we can look down the road and rather than it being reactive, where they're exactly, gonna, gonna exactly. Show up. And we've done a yeah. lot of corridor work looking at like what are the most likely travel corridors that our bears would have and then um, kind of identifying what are barriers to movement and recognizing yeah. that, you know, maybe those barriers could use mitigation in the future if that's something that is a possibility. Like a interstate highway. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, just maintaining that connectivity and, and looking at how we yeah. can keep that forest connected and stuff so that we have that continued bear movement. But then also looking at how those corridors might funnel bears to certain areas where now it's going to be a I challenge. See. Yeah, so you're doing some predictive work. Yep, yep. You know, they say the Washtals and the Ozark bears are allopatric populations for the most part mm-hmm. because of Arkansas River and then I-40. Right. And I mean, mm-hmm. for the most part, bears aren't crossing that that much. Right. But I mean, so that's what you're talking about. It's like physical barriers that are right. dividing populations. Right. But yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. That's cool. Cool stuff. Uh, well, we've gone a while here, and that's perfect. Um, how far? How long have we gone? Long time. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Wow. Good. <laughs> uh, Josh is just really, he just loves to talk. <laughs> no, I could talk to you for another two hours. I really could. Yeah. Closing, closing, closing comment. You know, I think, I think it's an exciting time for bears in the state here. I mean, it just, just bears in general. You know, if you're interested in bear management, regardless of what state you live in, it's an exciting time here. And I would say, you know, just kind of keep an eye out. We're, we're in this, you know, phase of looking at that potential hunting season, thinking yeah. about how that might, how that might look. Um, but also just with this growing and, expand, and expanding population here, you know, we're in, we're in a really active management that involves a whole lot of different things. You know, it's, you know, it's not, it's not just hunting. It's not just education. It's not just nuisance issues. It's how all of those kind of combine into one cohesive management program. So yeah, yeah, I'd say, you know, keep an eye out and stay tuned. And then if, if anyone's interested in the research project, we do on the MDC webpage have a research page and we have a bear story map that we have on there that we update once a year. And it's kind of a fun interactive way. So folks haven't seen bear dens. We've got some really cool like bear den videos and like a bear in a hollow tree, you know, putting a GoPro in and looking at her from above and stuff like that. And the bears coming out of caves and everything. So I'd say check it out if there's any interest there. What's it, what's it called? What's that website? So, so you can just get to it at mdc.mo.gov slash bears. And then there's a link to all of the research, all the management stuff, our management plan and everything. It's all, all right there. Yeah. Great. Perfect. And the the potential hunt is just for residents as well. That's right. Yeah. So I think that's great. I think that's right. I just wanted to say that because, you know, if somebody was like, oh, I can go to Missouri and hunt right. a bear. Yeah. It's for Missouri for res- residents. For Missouri residents only right I think now. there should yep. be perks for state residents. <laughs> yep. I really do. I think we didn't good. talk about, as part of the plan, kind of the allotment with landowners versus general lottery either, did Okay, we? I saw that. Yeah, so that is, that's a that's a part of the proposal. So, so essentially allocating the first 10% of permits to landowners that that have 20 contiguous acres within the bear management yeah, zone for which they're sense. applying. So so trying to get to you know where that we can encourage that landowner participation that way and and recognizing yeah. you know we're we're still talking about a limited a limited hunting season mm. right yeah. now. Would part yeah. of that be some type of 
thing where they would have to report back at the end. Yeah. Like you so do with waterfowl and stuff like that. Yeah. So we so we will will have a telecheck requirement for any harvested bears, uh-huh. and then and then there's been discussions about post harvest surveys if the season mm-hmm. were to move forward and and yeah. things like that. And that's something that we do for a variety of other species. So um, looking at you know gaining that information for harvested bears, we would require a tooth so that we could get that age yeah. age structure of mm-hmm. the of the harvest and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Great. Shepard, do you have any questions? None? No. You learned something, though, didn't you? What did you learn? Bears can go 450 miles. 450 miles. Okay. Yep. That's right. That one bear went that far. Yep. Great. Well, thank you, guys. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, yeah, Colby, thoughts? Well, Make I mean, it quick. I just have I have more questions. <laughs> you, can do you can start your own podcast and meet with them some other time. Yeah. I don't know. I guess this would probably be a quick question, but what would be the thing that would help you guys with your research more like with public interaction or or just if if somebody wanted to help just biologists in their own state, what would be a way to think about how to interact with that? You know, I think if if there's interest there, you know, look look to the website, see if there's any guidance there. I mean, one of the big things that we encourage the public do is to report bear sightings. And so that's not something that every state does, especially states with, you know, huge burgeoning populations and stuff. But, but for us here, that's a really critical component. And in some cases, it's that one sighting report that leads to us trapping on a property because there's a collared bear there or because, you know, they've got a female in an area where we'd like to collar a female and stuff like that. And so, I mean, I think I would say, you know, you could reach out in that instance. Um, and for me, I mean, I, I always get questions from the public about the project and, and interest, you know, and find their email and, and send mm-hmm. an email kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good. Well, keep the wild places wild because that's where there's the Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold.